0: The podcast you are listening to is based in fact. A true crime podcast. Join host Lisa O'Brien as she examines America's most infamous true crime cases through the lens of the court not the court of public opinion. No rumors. No spin. No theories. Just fact. Here's Lisa O'Brien. In episode 10, I'm talking to Joe Nevels and Natalie Voss Nevels about horse racing and the 148th Kentucky Oaks and Kentucky Derby set for May 6th and May 7th, 2022. As some of you know, I've loved horses and ponies all my life, and I've been a fan of horse racing since Secretariat won the Triple Crown in 1973. I've experienced the joy of seeing five Triple Crown winners in my lifetime, and the heartbreak when young horses like Ruffian, Eight Bells, and Barbaro can't be saved after an injury. Our lives are highs and lows, but we keep moving forward, and horse racing is no different. Those connected to the industry do what they do because they love the horses and they love the sport. Our first guest, Joe Nevels, is a bloodstock editor at The Pollock Report, a turf writer, Arabian enthusiast, and expert, and Eclipse Award winner for his feature article, Biting the Dust, Along Long Goodbye to Mount Pleasant Meadows. Joe's love for horses comes from his family's Belgian draft horses and his grandfather's thoroughbreds who raced on Michigan tracks. Our second guest is Natalie Voss Nevels, three-time Eclipse Award-winning writer and editor-in-chief at The Pollock Report who has embarked on a new journey with OTTB underscore, lovingly known as Blueberry. Natalie's 2020 Eclipse Awards were for articles in both the writing and feature commentary categories. Her feature article was titled An Angel on His Shoulder. This thoroughbred's fate was written in ink. And good afternoon, Joe and Natalie, welcome. Good to be here. Happy to be here. Great. Well, let's get started. Um, first of all, I want to let you guys introduce yourselves. If there's anything in the intro that I didn't include, um, mm-hmm. now is your
1: time.
2: <laughs> I think you tagged all the pertinent bases for me. That's You kind of hit everything that people need to know me Thanks.
1: Okay. Well, I think that um, my draft cross-marriage jitterbug would really um objects to being and left out of my that's intro. That's <laughs> but,
0: but yep. you know i felt like she's moved on to her new place and she's no longer tied to you that doesn't matter
1: well she she simultaneously wants to continue claiming credit for me and also <laughs> pretending like she doesn't know who i am when then, i show up to visit her on the weekends so jitterbug
0: my dear my sincerest apologies <laughs> uh, she has moved on to a wonderful career with uh can you, well, I can't remember, I can never remember the name of the,
1: it's um, Central Kentucky Riding for Hope, which is a therapeutic riding center based at the Kentucky Horse Park. So she just moved over there um, the beginning of this year, and she's already been part of a horse show for them. Mm -hmm. They had a um, special modified dressage class at one of the um, combined test events at the horse park that they took some students to, and she's been teaching students of all ages and and all needs for several months now she's completely a star over there all the volunteers mm-hmm. love her and it's like the easiest job she's ever had because most of it's just sort of walking and standing still so right. she's um, convinced she should have been doing this from the beginning
0: <laughs> and she's uh, apparently the lift does not bother at all so- yes they
1: were um they were particularly interested in her because they didn't have um a larger horse they, they didn't have as many larger horses in their program um at the end of last year and they did not have a ton who were also okay with the um, wheelchair assistance lift um where it sort of helps lift somebody who's uses a wheelchair um lifts them out of the chair and then moves them and lowers them over onto the horse mm-hmm. and the horse has to kind of stand under this big sort of moving arm and it's this kind of I don't know that it's a noisy apparatus but it's making some noise and you know there's a person in the air and it's kind of a lot for a lot of horses but and it goes on
0: behind where they probably
1: right they can't are see not fully. real crazy yeah yeah um and she apparently just kind of they obviously tested it out with her with some staff members several times before bringing a um a therapy student in but um apparently she just kind of looked at it and looked at them like what <laughs> why, yeah. why are you staring at me this is fine so she rolled with the punches that is so jitterbug it, it really is you know she's been a challenge for me in many ways but when it really counts the most she's just absolutely worth her weight in gold and she's very heavy so that's uh yes. pretty,
0: pretty <laughs> quite a bit of gold
1: yeah quite a bit of gold
0: so and uh again you both are with the pollock report joe is bloodstock editor And, you know, for my true crime listeners, can you give us a little bit about what a bloodstock editor, what bloodstock means in horse racing?
2: So bloodstock is basically the factory for horse racing. It's uh, my main beats are covering the horse auctions and pedigrees, breedings, stallions, things of that nature. You know, if it's the things that supply the racehorses for the racetrack, whether that's, you know, uh, conception, folding them out, um, selling them, raising them you know, all of that sort of falls under my purview. Um, you know, I do a lot of stuff with auctions. Uh, pretty soon we'll be having a sale in, uh, Baltimore following the Preakness stakes for two-year-olds, which is kind mm-hmm. of the, it's almost like a, you know, the NFL draft or something where they do a, a breeze, like a one furlong sprint and everyone you know checks on their form and their time and everything and makes their purchases based on that. And those horses could run later this year. Um, they have yearling sales, which is kind of like drafting high schoolers. Um, and then they have sort of weanling sales in the fall, which is, you know, trying to pick out like an elementary school mm-hmm. horse basically to run at some point. And they also sell broodmares at this point. Um, you know, a lot of sort of commercial viability type stuff is what I cover. You know, the, if the, if the numbers are up at sales, if the numbers are down at sales, uh, same with, you know, breeding statistics, you know, once a racehorse retires from the racetrack, they enter the blood- bloodstock realm. So, they're, mm-hmm. if they're, you know, assuming they're not gelded, if they're an intact horse. So, you know, they'll be becoming a stallion, they'll be becoming a brood mare, and then they sort of follow my watch.
0: Wonderful. And, Natalie, your work at Pollock Report is in regulatory and features, and you kind of are a jack of all trades there.
1: <laughs> yeah, or Jill I, of
0: all trades.
1: I, I've inherited a, a number of beats. Um, that don't necessarily strictly relate to each other, but I, I've been doing them long enough and, and they've sort of grown. So I, I do a lot of regulatory stuff, um, a fair amount of legal stuff, um, which has become more and more relevant in the last couple of years as mm-hmm. horse racing has, has been at the center of uh, various criminal and civil cases that are ongoing. Um, and then I also sort of do the horse health and aftercare side of things as well. Um, because that's sort of where I, I guess that's that half I sort of like where I have my hands-on experience with horses and then the mm-hmm. regulatory, legal, investigative stuff is kind of what I became interested in uh when I started this job like 10, almost 10 years ago. Um, so I've just sort of kept the two the two sides going. And then obviously as as editor, I'm overseeing um a lot of our other types of content as well. So I Frequently, I have to sort of like make lists <laughs> to keep myself mm-hmm. organized and, and very often do the digital version of walking into a room and forgetting why I came in there <laughs> because I'm doing several <laughs> different things at one time and they're relatively different things. But it, it works. It, our staff is really great and that everybody sort of has their niche or niches that they mm-hmm. specialize in and, and together it all it all fits and works out.
0: Yeah. And I have to say, I mean, each of you are phenomenal writers.
1: Well, thank, oh, thank you, you. Uh,
0: come and I wanted to be a writer, but I could not make a living doing it. And so I had to go into legal work that and was being fun. a legal yes. assistant. So you probably,
2: you probably made the right choice. That's <laughs> you,
0: did. you absolutely did. But... That's, it not.
2: It is not easy or secure, making a living as a writer.
0: No, yeah. and, but you you seem to have found your success. Because I would say winning Eclipse Awards, that's a success. Isn't that like the Pulitzer of racing sports? It
2: is, but there's no cash with that prize, which is tough. Oh,
0: (laughs) It's a very nice
2: trophy. And probably if I took it to the pawn shop, I'd probably get a fair (laughs) bit of money for it. But But unfortunately,
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's not quite on the level of the Pulitzer.
2: For me, it's 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 my own Pulitzer. After I after I got the phone call that I won mine, I was on such an adrenaline high that I went out and just Mm. like ran two miles just nonstop, just because I was so excited about it. And if this is not a visual podcast, if you saw a picture of me, you saw that I'm I'm you would see I'm not clearly not a runner. (laughs) I, I do not have a runner's frame. Two miles was not something I would normally do.
0: Oh, that's okay maybe someday you will you never know my ex-husband when I was married to him wasn't a runner he didn't have a runner's frame he was what you might call doughy and then after we split up and he had a little health issue he got his crap together and he actually lost a lot of weight and toned up and looked very good (laughs) luckily he was the same person so It didn't catch my interest, (laughs) so we remained apart. But you know, you never know; you might, you might take to running, and even with nothing chasing you. So you never know. (laughs) Yeah, you'd never know. Uh, And Natalie, you're of course uh, aftercare is a a very a very big thing for you. You're uh, very invested in it emotionally and. Work wise, and you have taken on a new journey with underscore a retired thoroughbred who is known as Blueberry.
1: Yes, absolutely. We're about to um, start our second horse show season together. Last year, we did the Retired Racehorse Project Thoroughbred Makeover, which is a training competition for thoroughbreds in essentially their first uh, nine, 10 months in training for a new career and Mm -hmm. that was kind of our our bucket list goal for our first season and we we came we saw we participated we we finished pretty well um all things considering uh Mm -hmm. we certainly did not win but we we did pretty well in a really big really really big dressage group um and so this year we're just gonna try to keep building on that um with our dressage kind of goals and then he's also learning to jump with my trainer I have some uh, anxiety about jumping, but I think that it would be a good thing for him to learn a new skill. And so I'm trusting him to the, the trainer who's brought both of us along to this point um, because she's a professional and very confident. And so hopefully it'll be something that he can have fun doing. And then if I decide I want to do it, then he, it won't be new to him, um, which seems like a much better entry point for us. So he's, he's very busy these days between mm-hmm. those two different things.
2: But he looks good. He's in such good shape now because he's at, almost every day he's working.
1: He's yeah. doing and something. he likes it that way. He, mm-hmm. he yeah. doesn't like to have more than a day or so off. He gets very fidgety. He gets very grumbly. And, and I, I think that's from the racetrack. He's used yeah, to.
0: you've you've mentioned that a couple of times in your in your Facebook posts, uh, keeping us all apprised of of his progress. And uh, he seems to take to things like it's no big deal for him.
1: He's very, very smart. I think that, um, you know, I've been lucky to have two incredibly intelligent horses. I think that I'm hard-pressed to say that any, but any horse that I've met is smarter than Jitterbug, but he's, he's probably up there. Mm -hmm. The difference being that he doesn't kind of, he doesn't work to use his smarts against you. He's just (laughs) a very good boy. It's important to him to be a good boy. He doesn't ever want to do anything to offend you, but he understands things very quickly. So Mm -hmm. it's very simple to teach him things. And because he has the thoroughbred body, he also can build fitness really quickly. So it's been kind of a, um, an adjustment process for me to get used to, like, I'll start off the week working on something and think, okay, so we'll just sort of keep focusing on this over the next like four or five rides. And then in a couple, he's already got it. So I've got to Mm -hmm. figure out something else to do because the concept was easy and we just needed to put the muscles behind it. Once we got that, we were good. So that's been quite a different experience.
2: Yeah. And Natalie had a bit of an advantage working with blueberry because she uh, worked with his mother as a mm-hmm. yearling at the sales. So that's the kind of thing where she got sort of accustomed to his men- to th- that family's mentality, I guess. And, you know, knew, at least hopefully knew what to expect with blueberry and he absolutely lived up to the hype.
0: Yeah. And he's an uncle Mo as well, isn't he? Yes. Okay. Yeah. They seem to be very solid. Um, very good overall all around
2: mm-hmm. yeah, uh,
0: athletic horses.
2: and i have yet to hear anyone say oh watch out for that crazy uncle mo over there like you would for certain you know stallions or bloodlines like you know it seems like the uncle Mos have pretty good heads on their shoulders mm-hmm. all told um, and the, might, tappets, I...
0: the tappets the tapits, you have to walk them with a the helmet <laughs> on Listen, because it, they're me. very high strung
1: <laughs> they, they can be a challenge there's nothing smart. nothing, but nothing wrong
0: with that but they're very high strung mm-hmm. and the uncle mo's are solid and and even
2: mm-hmm. and the funny thing is i've seen countless uncle mo's because he, he's one of the most active stallions in north america he puts 200 foals on the ground every year and almost to the number they're all very dark brown And they're all very leggy, tall, bulky, Mm -hmm. like linebacker types. And Blueberry is not exactly that. He's probably the shortest Uncle Mo I've ever seen. And he got his mother's sort of, his mother's a chestnut. So sort of Mm -hmm. a reddish color. And he's got sort of a copper penny tone to him. Like he's still considered a base or sort of lightish brown. But if you get him in the sun, you can still see the red hairs kind of come through on him. And where a typical Uncle Mo is... 16 hands, 16, one, 16, two blueberry is 15, two maybe. So that's mm-hmm. c- to compare that to human heights, blueberries, maybe, oh, I don't know, five foot eight, five foot nine, where the typical uncle Mo is six foot three.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So right, you know, we're not really sure how he happened, but he, we always <laughs> tell him he's the perfect size. Like this is exactly <laughs> what we want out of him.
0: Daddy stamps you in the good way, but not necessarily physically the way he stamps all
2: his others you got the mind and that's what's
0: important (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah so uh and then of course we've spoken about jitterbug and she's doing well and thriving and that's wonderful and then we kind of touched on the eclipse awards Mm -hmm. um but uh, natalie if you could tell us about your three Not that there's a competition or anything. Um, (laughs)
2: So I do have to butt in with one small story on this. My parents were in town from Michigan and Natalie had just received her second and third eclipse awards. And she has them on this nice shelf in her office. And, you know, we were showing them off to her and then they came over and looked at my one eclipse award and looked at me and said, we still love you, son.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) (laughs)
1: they're so funny i love my (laughs) in-laws they're just the greatest um well yeah so i uh let's see god what year did i get the first one it's so bad that i don't immediately remember i wrote the story in a different okay i wrote the story in a different year from when i won it because the eligibility for publication date starts like november december and then you submit November of the, the following year. So I always get a little confused, but the um, the first one was um, kind of an investigative piece on uh, chronic head trauma in jockeys. That was around the time that we were starting to um, really talk about that issue in football players and what mm-hmm. the repeated uh, the effects of repeated concussions might be with the CTE and that kind of thing. Um, and I spoke to a writer, a, a, retired writer who well, as far as I'm aware is the first person or at least at the time was the first uh, ex-jockey who had been told that like they can't really diagnose CTE while the person is alive. At least I, th- I think that's still true. They're working Correct. on changing the, <laughs> changing the imaging modalities to change that. But she was the first person I'm aware who'd been told like, we can't confirm this because you're still living, but you absolutely have this. Like mm-hmm. there's no way you don't have this. Um And so I was sort of reviewing like what policies are in place to try to protect jockeys. Do we have concussion protocols in the sport? Not really. Um, Unfortunately, I think that we've, we've improved on that somewhat in the years since I wrote that piece, but I don't think that it's um, become a national sort of uniform policy of trying to prevent or, have a procedure in place for a concussion after a rider falls i think it depends very much on where you are
0: Mm -hmm.
1: um state-wise and track-wise as to whether that's improved at all um and then the two that i got in 2020 were both for aftercare related stories there was the uh feature that you mentioned on a thoroughbred who found his way back to the assistant trainer who had had him or who had actually galloped him when he was a two-year-old had him in the barn at the very beginning of his career, he'd sort of fallen through the ranks. He'd fallen off the map a little bit. She hadn't been able to find him. And then he turned up in her riding barn one day because he was Mm -hmm. there as an adoptable horse, uh, with the aftercare program that was based at that stable. So sort of looking back at the people that were, had hands on him throughout his journey and kind of what brought him back to the person who really started with him. Um, And then the other award was for a multi-part series on aftercare, sort of looking at, you know, 10 years or so into the industry focus on aftercare. There's been aftercare organizations around longer than a decade, but we're kind of a decade into really commonly using that phrase, commonly investing in that topic. Um, So what are we doing well? What are we not doing well? What do we need to be looking at going forward? Because the, the effort to improve aftercare for thoroughbreds certainly has, has not been completed. The whole thing is not mm-hmm. solved. So looking at what we've done successfully and, and what still lies ahead. So. All
0: right Now, how would you feel about a centralized? Cause I know there's a lot of talk, uh, uh, Dr. Brian Langwa, one of the other friends of mine on Twitter, who's into horse racing. Um, you know, he's talked about a, a centralized, almost a federal, regulatory uh body that would would regulate racing across the country so all the rules would be the same whether you're in kentucky or louisiana or florida and um across the board everything would be one set of rules how would you feel about that type of of i guess system
1: well so i think what he's probably been Uh, talking about the most is the horse racing integrity and safety authority which is something that's starting actually July 1st Um, there was a federal bill or federal law I guess I should say passed uh, into 2020 I believe uh, that had been some version of it had been in the legislature many times before but it hadn't really gotten much traction Um, popped up in late 2020 passed very quickly and said, okay, we're going to create this authority. We're going to have rules that are all the same. The um, authority is going to be housed under the Federal Trade Commission and go July 1st, 2022. We're going to start this whole thing which was not a lot of time um, because they needed to decide who is going to be on the various boards of this authority. Who was going to be employed by the authority. Um, figure out what the rules were that we're going to now apply to everyone, figure out how they're going to pay for it and figure out how they're going to pay for it. They still haven't figured out how they're going to pay for it. So um, the first part of it, they've they've now divided it into kind of parts that they're going to phase in. Um, So what will begin in July is uh, the safety integrity, or I, I guess just the safety, the racetrack safety, half of it will begin July 1st where you'll have uniform rules in areas that are considered to impact safety. So not medication. Vacation is going to be held off until probably the start of next year. But anything else that involves the running of a race and the safety of resources is going to have uniform rules that go into effect in July. There will also be an accreditation program that racetracks are required to comply with um, that is basically a sort of a synthesized version of a couple of different um, organizing bodies recommendations that they've been making to racetracks for many years about here are some um, best policies that we've seen that work to reduce injuries. Here's the the level of equipment that you need, that kind of thing. And that accreditation sounds like it's gonna be sort of phased in. There's gonna be kind of some tapering to who gets grandfathered into that and who has to sort of get their their act together a little bit more quickly. to maintain the accreditation, they're now going to be required to have. Um, and everyone is a little bit, you know, I've been a little bit, I guess I'm hopeful, but not necessarily an optimistic person. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping this will go really well. We really need this to come together and um, solve it, some of these gaps in the country where there are still racetracks that don't have some of these basic rules in place that Mm. have been told for years they need to have some of these rules in place. We would really benefit from a uniform medication set of rules and also testing standards. That would be really great. We've needed that for many, many decades now. But it seems like this has been a very rushed effort and there Mm -hmm. is still a lot of confusion about how expensive this is going to be and who's actually going to end up footing the bill for it. And whether certain states and certain tracts are going to be able to afford to fit the bill foot the bill for it. So I'm hoping that it will help. We could really use the the help and the uniformity and the you know the tougher sort of sanctions on people that violate the rules, mm-hmm. but I am not encouraged that it seems to be such a tremendous process and it's being sort of it's got a very tight time clock on it. I think that's gonna make it really tough.
0: Right. All right. Well, look forward to reading more about it in the Pollock Report because I'm sure you'll be keeping an eye on it.
1: Absolutely. I've read way more pages than I care to (laughs) of uh, proposed regulations and comments and everything else. So we'll we'll be keeping everyone informed as that moves forward.
0: So, and then you've also covered some of the, uh, I guess we call it scandals with uh, medication and testing. And we've had... uh, disqualification of the late Medina spirit from the 2020 Kentucky, 2021 Kentucky Derby and replacement of uh, Mandaloon as the winner. And now Bob Baffert is pretty much done. I would think
2: Bob is never mm-hmm. done.
0: Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't count on that. <laughs> he doesn't I know he's done, but I think he should just retire.
1: I don't think he has any intention of doing that. That's not realistic. (laughs) At the end of his 90 days, he'll be back. He still has a number of ongoing court cases related to the Medina Spirit outcome. Mm -hmm. To my knowledge, he's not dropped his actual appeal yet of that disqualification. Mm -hmm. Um, His primary focus had been appealing the suspension that he was handed as a result of the medication overage in Medina Spirit. He's been forced to now begin serving that suspension. So that part of it is moot. However, I think that he and the owner, to my knowledge, are still appealing the fact that the horse was disqualified, whether they'll continue moving forward with that at this point now that it's now that, that part of the ruling has kind of been separated from the suspension. I'm not sure if they'll continue with that, but currently mm-hmm. they have not dropped it. Um, he's also a, a still in a civil suit with Churchill Downs, which had exercised his private property rights to ban him from their track and the Kentucky Derby for two years. So um, obviously he's not going to be participating this year because he's on suspension right now, but that would still impact next year. So I don't think he's going to drop that suit because he will want to get in next year. Um, Naira has is still in the process. The New York Racing Association is still in the process of determining um, how long they might exercise a private property ban on him as a result of a series of medication overages that sort of culminated with Medina Spirit. They're still kind of going through their process to decide exactly how long they're going to keep him out. And I don't know whether he will try to go back to civil court again to try to get around that. He's already sort of done that once. Um, Mm -hmm. And then he's still at the center of a few different um, class action civil suits from horse players who bet on Mandaloon and are you know, trying to get some sort of relief from him saying, It's your fault that I didn't get paid, which it's not typically how this how this is really understood to work, but none of this is really typical. So I'm not mm-hmm. really sure where those cases are going to go.
0: Yeah. That that's going to be interesting to see how those how those play out.
2: And through all of this, he has a core group of very deep pocketed owners that have stood by him through through basically thick and thin at this point. Mm-hmm. They have transferred some horses now that you know now that he's been on officially suspension they've had to transfer horses and some of them have put horses in other people's barns for you know the the purpose of running in the kentucky derby and you know earning derby qualifying points but it's pretty heavily implied that as soon as his suspension is up they're going back to bob and they've i think they've done you know they pay bob so Mm -hmm. for his services so they're sort of they sort of have a hand in keeping him going in some of these legal you know battles because they're essentially paying the lawyer fees because they're putting money in Bob's pocket. Bob's putting the money in the lawyer's pocket. So, you know, it's in their interest to make sure that he keeps going.
0: So do you think that the improvement of testing methods has caught um, perhaps practices that weren't detected before because it seems like the last since 2018, he's had some close calls. We had Justify Santa Anita, but that was put down to environmental de- de- uh, environmental contamination
3: mm-hmm.
0: in the straw in the at the track mm-hmm. because it was several barns, several different trainers, similar. Uh, positive result, but do you think he, you know, he's been doing it all along and he just hasn't gotten caught or do you think it's something he's begun doing or is it just new testing methods have caught smaller, um, smaller amounts of.
1: Well, I, I think that it, it's sort of hard to say. I mean, the, the supplement, I mean the, the substances he's had problems with the last several years are, common therapeutic drugs that have been regulated, you know, for most of his training career to some degree, I think that the rules around those substances have shifted um, in the time that he's been training. And I know in the case of the beta methasone in Kentucky, um, when he had the overage with Gamine, who came second in the Kentucky Oaks in 2020, they had just changed the regulations for corticosteroids. Um, mm-hmm. I want to say maybe two months before that. Uh, and they did let trainers know they, they worked really hard to publicize that change so that no one would get caught out um, and surprised by the, the shift backwards in, in the last administration time. Um, and obviously, then he had a problem with the same substance a few months later in the same state. So um, there's, there's probably like some degree of gray area. There are certainly trainers who believe that really any testing that goes on now is just way, way too sensitive it's past the point of being useful. Now it's just kind of a race to see how small of an amount of something that you can possibly find. And it's sort of lost the threat of being practical. Then there are people who kind of say like, hey, maybe this is just a matter of us getting better at figuring out what people are doing to push the envelope. And we don't want them doing that. So Mm -hmm. a more sensitive test, as long as it's sort of balanced with appropriate rules could be a good thing and and probably the reality lies somewhere in the middle i do think that there um are much more sensitive testing methods used now in in some states Uh, i don't think all states have the same degree of testing but they're getting there um Mm -hmm. but with the environmental contamination usually that argument comes in when there's an environmental contamination case specifically Mm -hmm. is that people will say now it's picking up stuff that's in the stall the stuff that's in the air or stuff that's in the city water um you know, I don't really have any particular perspective on the scopolamine case with Justify, but I knew I know that what testing experts say to people who start blaming environmental contamination in other situations when they're talking about more sort of mm-hmm. out there theories about, you know, it's in the dust and the cobwebs of the stall or it's in the it's in the city water or whatever, they'll say, Yeah, but there's other trainers who don't have this problem. So how yeah. is it the mm-hmm. testing is only catching this environmental tiny indetectable or now detectable level in some cases, but not others. And I think that that's a really good point, you know, so there are obviously trainers that even as the testing gets more detailed and even as the rules shift are able to shift along with it and make sure that whatever they're doing is not going to put them at danger of getting a positive test. And it's Mm -hmm. a little unfair to the guys who work really hard and, and successfully do keep their records very clean. To say, oh well, I just can't keep up with it. The testing is too harsh, and the, the rules keep changing, and I just can't figure it out. Well, it's it's unfair to the guys who do manage to do that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the thing is, you can only test for what you know is out there. Um, there are all sorts of things that are even marketed as will not test, will not show up in a test, and that's another sort of game of whack-a-mole that you know, the testing process is constantly trying to keep up with is new products on the market, things that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, state government or, you know, whatever lab you might be employing isn't necessarily looking for because they don't know that you can, you know, take the, you know, the slime off a frog and use that to, you know, dull pain and make your horse go faster or go longer. Mm-hmm. Like it's, you know, it's the kind of stuff that, you know, horse trainers, especially the less credible ones can be quite innovative and that's not necessarily a good thing
0: right and there is i think a court case with uh just that a criminal case where they were kind of colluding on what they could get away with and um they were caught on tape
1: Mm, yeah.
0: you, got, you, you got to narrow it down. There's so the 2020,
1: many. <laughs> uh, I'm betting you mean the 2020 federal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
0: So but the what I was referring to, the article about the the justify result specifically, there was a counter article that came out and I think it was NBC. And mm. they talked about um basically there were multiple barns at Santa Anita with multiple horses because not all horses are tested at the same time.
1: Right. Mm-hmm.
0: And so, but it was multiple barns, same results for scopolamine, they had differing amounts, but it was also theorized that the horses were ingesting from the straw
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that, and then it processes through the urine. Right. So That was where I kind of felt like that was a credible argument for environmental rather than uh, deliberate administration.
1: Well, and I do think that's a little different than, you know, somebody who ends up with like a corticosteroid in a horse and tries Mm -hmm. to say, oh, it's, um, I don't know, it's environmental contaminant. Like this traces to a particular weed that is known to sometimes grow in California. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that the the prevailing sort of theory by the CHRB, the California Horse Racing Board at that time was that if we're seeing levels of it in other horses in other barns who all have the same hay and straw supplier, it does seem like that batch might've had some of the weed in there and maybe you had some horses who were more interested in eating the straw than others. Maybe you had some that metabolized it differently than others. But it's not like you just sort of have this one horse that you're trying to say got mm-hmm. exposed to a weed that was right. buried inside one bale of straw. That's, I think, a little bit different. I think the issue that a lot of people had with that case was more that it was really there was a big effort to hide that from the public. Right. Um, they took, a, took that hearing with him private. Uh, They never uh, published the results of that drug test ahead of that hearing, they sort of dismissed the whole thing in the private hearing with Baffert and I think probably hoped that it would never come up again. And so then Mm -hmm. when records did come out indicating that this had happened and that's how it had been handled. I think that that kind of had people really suspicious about like, well, wait, why was he treated this way with this particular horse who ended up winning Mm -hmm. the triple crown? And I think it was more of a transparency issue that a lot of people have with that situation than anything else.
0: Correct. And the appearance of impropriety Mm -hmm. made it look worse than had they said, this is what happened. This is how we handled it. This is how we're going to handle it. Right. And, you know, but ahead of the Kentucky Derby, Yeah. It, it potentially could have swung a triple crown.
2: Like if they had, you know, been more, I guess, public with things handled, I don't know if they could have been able to handle it quickly enough and judiciously enough to keep him out of the Kentucky Derby Mm -hmm. if everything were to happen. But, you know, that's something that's kind of a, what if at this point. Right. right. And I feel like one of the big arguments that, you know, I've, I've heard people ask, you know, why is, why is everyone always picking on Baffert? Why does everyone seem to be, you know, going after him on stuff like this? And it's that, what happened with the Jimson weed with Justify, what happened to Medina Spirit and the Derby, what happened to Gamine and the Oaks clearly isn't an isolated issue. Like this stuff sort of keeps happening to him. And what if you even if you take him at face value, he's either the most unlucky trainer in the world that he keeps getting popped for circumstantial things in different years, different racetracks, different jurisdictions, or looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, sounds mm. like a duck. Like <laughs> You know, it's it's the kind of thing where it just sort of keeps happening. And eventually he's either got plenty of excuses or you stop buying the excuses. And I think a lot of people have kind of gotten tired of the excuses
0: because wasn't weren't Gamine and uh, Medina spirit. Didn't he try to argue that Jimmy Barnes had pain patches
1: um different kameen uh, okay different positive kameen unfortunately had two different <laughs> drug positives see what i'm talking
2: about <laughs> uh-huh.
1: <laughs> so that was um uh, and uh, another trainee of his charlatan got over okay. just for lycane in arkansas okay. um, earlier in 2020 on arkansas derby day And in that case, he attributed the, I think at first he attributed the positives to a over-the-counter pain relief patch that his assistant trainer was using. Uh, Later, like well after that, when he was in the hearings with the New York Racing Association and they were bringing up his medication history, he sort of seemed to back off that as the explanation. Like he still thinks that might've been it, but Mm -hmm. then there were all these inconsistencies that came through with the Arkansas lab. Um, and then he kind of sort of threw a, a little bit of doubt out there about well, I think it was probably the pain patches, but I don't know, the testing situation down there isn't very good. And I, I don't really know what happened, but I, I, I know that we didn't give horses lidocaine. Mm. And it is it, a pretty stupid drug to try to cheat with because it's pretty easily detected. But right. at the same time, like I have a feeling there are other grooms and assistants who have to use salon pos patches because like working with horses is really hard on your body. So mm-hmm. it would seem a little surprising to me if this was the only time this had ever happened as the result of a topical patch. I guess maybe it's not, I guess it could have happened in other situations that we don't know about, but this is not kind of a known thing like, Oh, don't buy salon pos because it'll get your right. horse positive tests. So right. that was a little bit that was a little bit weird. And no, so then gamine is the same filly that ended up having the beta-methasone positive after the oaks several months later. So different substance.
2: Which one got attributed to poppy seed bagels?
1: That was many years ago.
2: Oh, okay. I'm not as
1: familiar with that situation, <laughs> but that was that was before my time. But yeah, okay. one of one of them got attributed to the poppy seeds in a bagel that somebody I don't know if they fed the horse. I don't. I don't remember what the story was exactly. But yeah, th- there was there was a poppy seed bagel explanation at some stage that I, I'm less familiar with.
0: All right. Well, that uh, that's why I say Bob Baffert needs to just. He's got two triple crowns. He's probably got more money than God. Retire and pass it on to Bodie.
1: <laughs> well he might not have more money than god at this point with the lawyer's fees he's been paying Well, like, not I at I the owners are are paying. He's,
2: he's got he's got two lawyers fighting battles on so many fronts right now
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, it's, yeah i can't imagine how much it's costing
0: so um well it and it would depend maybe they're friends of his and usually the friends will do things for on the cheap so. you never know
1: Could I, be. Might, I know there's a lot have of to, hours in at this point
0: are they in california state
1: are they in federal um so i think most of the proceedings that are still active are all federal at this point um okay. the situation with naira had been in a federal court now it's like a private um sort of arbitrate not arbitration it's it's like a private hearing that Naira has laid out the ground rules for, and now it's mm-hmm. just kind of contained with them. So, okay, that, that part Admi- is not part more
0: administrative the, than
1: right. Like, they, they had gone to civil court, uh, federal civil court over Naira's exclusion of him, saying, You can't just do that, you have to at least like talk to me. You can't just sort of tell me we're kicking you out based on something that happened in another state. And the judge sort of said well he does have a right to due process and so naira came up with this set of guidelines wherein they would appoint an administrative law judge to hear a case not dissimilarly to the way the gaming commission might do as part of an appeal Mm -hmm. and then they would present a report to um, a panel and the panel would make a determination on behalf of naira what they're going to do Um, and it sounds like that's something that um Baffert is the first one to go through that process, but it sounds like there are other trainers now that they are looking to exclude in a similar way, but have not actually started those proceedings yet. So um, a lot of the public reaction so far to the Naira Baffert private or uh, not private, but the Naira Baffert uh, sort of administrative law judge thing was like, well, but these are the guidelines that the Naira set out. So like, why are we gonna be surprised when Naira says that yes, in fact, we are still going to kick you out. And it's like, well, yeah, but I mean, he also sort of had to agree to this. So mm-hmm. I, I'm not really sure where that's going to end.
0: They would probably have arbitration clauses in there, in any of their contracts, dealings with him that would, they go through that process. I think it can be, well, sometimes it's binding though. the question is going to be whether it's bind, It's going to be binding or whether they either side can challenge.
1: They have said in the guidelines that they gave to him, that they also released to the media that like the decision of the panel at the end of this very lengthy process is final and you may not appeal that now. okay, he might that that might mean as far as he's concerned, I may not appeal that to you. But is he is his lawyer going to say, well, then I'm going to I'm going to take that to court and have the court deal with it. I'm not sure. Yeah, um, I think that the the judge that saw them before when they were in civil court initially on this, I, I think was OK. It least really seemed like she was OK with this concept of like, all right, there has to be a defined procedure. And then, yes, Naira could use its private property rights to exclude somebody as long as the person had due process. So I don't know that that leaves the door open for him mm-hmm. to challenge as far as she's concerned, but I don't really know.
0: He he may be able to challenge due, the due process uh, to have a judge decide whether it is legitimate or whether it's um, not. So that'll be interesting.
1: Right. And so then we have all these other cases that are sort of, I, I don't know that they're being held up as they wait to see the outcome of Bafferts, but I know that they're not uh, one has had a hearing schedule that's been moved a few times and the others I don't think they've even announced a hearing date for them yet. So I, I kind of think that they've also got whatever they're dealing with with him and then depending on how that goes, then there might be sort of this wave of others that might come after so it's, uh, there's a little bit of a backlog at this point as, as we wait to find out what's going on with him, which is just is, is true in a lot of different ways. in mm-hmm. the industry. We're all just waiting to see what happens right.
2: And that adds right. a lot of stakes to it because this is a very high profile test balloon to be sending out there. And this is a very, yeah. you know, Baffert's lawyers are very aggressive. Like this, if the, you know, if the New York racing association is successful, will galvanize the process to probably, you know, make things very difficult for other you know people with offenses to, mm-hmm. you know, fight things, but they're going to have to prove this out tooth and nail because he's not going to go quietly.
0: Right. And, that and if will... you mess
2: up, if you do anything bad and lose it, all these other people you're looking to run out to, they suddenly have an opening of well, this process doesn't work. I'm gonna sure, let's do it. I'll beat you in this court.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's also, but if they're successful, then other Churchill Downs, Kentucky, California can adopt similar uh procedures. Uh if new if NARA's successful, potentially
1: yeah i i'm curious to see if that happens if if naira prevails here
0: so all right well are we ready to go on to the oaks and the derby (laughs) let's do (laughs) it now that we've talked about the the bad stuff
2: (laughs) (laughs) oh we we've got we've we've got plenty of bad stuff
0: (laughs) yeah yeah i i don't want to weigh down too much i mean you can't ignore it but Um, sometimes you have to just be a little bit more optimistic Mm -hmm.
1: well and it is you know it is derby season there's there's a lot of positivity in that for Mm -hmm. a lot of people
2: derby fever fever is a disease of optimism yes
0: Mm -hmm. yes and you know we're coming out of uh of covid and pandemic and now we're going we're going back to normal i think as far as uh capacity and crowds and for the first time in two years that they're going to have, you know, there, there's a potential for record setting crowds.
2: I believe it. And selfishly last year for the Kentucky Derby, they had, I feel like it was half to less than half capacity. And Mm -hmm. it was actually really nice as someone who had to cover the thing because usually they have, shoulder to shoulder as far as the eye can see. And to get from the press box to the racing surface, it's you have to elbow your way through a lot of cigar smoke and drunk people and just a lot of obnoxiousness. And this time you can just walk straight to where you needed to go. There was really no one in your way. It was lovely. It was delightful. If every derby Mm -hmm. were like that, I'd be all about it. But I understand that you know Churchill Downs is a business and they have to make money, blah blah blah. So you know I'm sure they're going to they're they're going to pack the stands and they're going to have no problem packing the stands.
0: And and this is where I also wonder how racetracks, I mean, maybe not some smaller tracks, but the the Churchill Downs, the, uh, the Pimlicos, the Belmonts, Saratoga, they make a lot of money because like a drink costs $6 for a oh, bottle yeah. of water. Uh, they make money in addition to the wagering that goes on. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I don't think that Churchill Downs should be having any problem funding reform.
2: <laughs> <laughs> You'd sure think so, wouldn't you?
0: But then again, I don't. I don't know what their bottom line or their expenses are. No comment. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they are already accredited with the NCRA's program, so I think that they um, there there will still be costs to HISA, but as far as like what they personally have to be responsible for to get their particular facility up and running i think that they're probably already in pretty good shape
0: oh good
2: yeah they've okay. regularly been sort of um with the say, the new york thoroughbred or, i mean i'm sorry the national thoroughbred association their uh mm-hmm. safety and uh, the certification thing safety and integrity alliance yes uh, that thing
1: credited for many years now so yes there still will be a bill to pay regardless um because there's the overall costs for implementing the overall rules but as far as the track specific stuff i don't think that that will be too much of an issue for them
0: well that's good so we're gonna start with the oaks which is this friday may 6th 2022 and uh the oaks started in 1875 May 19th, uh, while Churchill Downs was known as the Louisville Jockey Club. It's also in Louisville, Kentucky. The uh, race is for three-year-old fillies. It's one and an eighth miles on a dirt surface. A uh, purse of $1.25 million. First wins 750000 not a bad and day at the office. No, not a bad day. Uh, but you I think it's one of the things that's difficult with racing is you don't you don't make money if your horse doesn't place. No, you, you have don't. your expenses, but you're you're um you still have to pay all your expenses, but you don't have you don't have any income.
2: Yeah. So, no you're absolutely right it's it's a very hard business to make money in. that's uh you know that's there's a lot of very rich people who have spent a lot of money and not gotten a whole lot of it back
0: mm-hmm. yeah and uh the field is actually uh pretty interesting this year um we've got uh a few classic empires we've got a curl in um what what are your thoughts on the field joe
2: So for me, the favorite is also going to be one of the biggest wild cards. Uh, Echo Zulu, who was last year's champion two-year-old female. um, She dominated everyone last year. No one could even touch her. She has only run once going into this year's Kentucky Oaks for for this year. She ran Mm -hmm. four times last year. And usually from the start of the year to the Kentucky Derby, Kentucky Oaks, you run two, three, maybe four times in prep races to – build up form, get points, get yourself in, you know, get your horse in good condition, prove that they can hold up against the competition. Uh, Echo Zulu only ran once, ran in the fairgrounds Oaks on March 26th. And won like a good thing, like there mm-hmm. was no rust there. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a unconventional route the way that she took it, but she has never shown a sign that anyone in this class can touch her. Um, you know, assuming that she draws well and everything goes to plan, she's going to be your heavy favorite on Friday.
0: Okay. And she is a gun runner. Yes. She and is wasn't, the first his,
2: crop
3: cr- of- oh, wasn't his
0: career kind of similar? Um, That he, he didn't run a lot, but when he ran.
2: So he ran well as a two-year-old. I feel like he won a great at stakes as a two-year-old, or at least did pretty well. He ran in that year's Kentucky Derby, took a little bit of a break, but he got better as he got older was the big thing. I think mm-hmm. he actually ran third in the Derby. I forget off the top of my head. Um, he became horse of the year, I believe, in his four-year-old season. He won some of the biggest races, biggest purses in the world. And he's one that really kept getting better as he was getting going. Uh, last mm-hmm. year, Gunrunner set the record for uh, freshman sires in terms of earnings. And, I mean, we all expected him to be a good freshman sire because you know, he was a fine two-year-old, but not a, you know a champion-level two-year-old. Mm-hmm. this caught a lot of people by surprise that he did that well with his first runners. And they've been continuing to run on as three-year-olds. It's not like they were flashes in the pan who, you know, peaked early and then didn't show up like a lot of sort of hot freshman tires do. So mm-hmm. the sky's a limit for a horse, like gun, for a stallion, like gun runner.
0: So, and what do you think about uh shotgun hottie? She's also a gun runner
2: shotgun hottie. I don't know anything about that one. I haven't she's, seen that one.
0: She's lower in the, in the field. Um, they list uh churchill downs lists the contenders i guess you Mm -hmm. call them and they kind of rank them one through whatever 21 or whatever there are uh i guess nominations uh Mm -hmm. by points and so she's down she's further down i don't think she has as many points but she's a gun runner
2: yeah and there's plenty of them. There's, you know, we're going to probably talk about several in the Kentucky Derby, too. <laughs> that's just, they're everywhere. They are absolutely everywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, we had a couple of grade one winners during this two year old campaign last year. They show up in big spots and they win them.
0: Mm-hmm. And then uh, Adair Manor, she's another one with not as many points, but she is a potential runner uh, mm-hmm. Friday. She's an Uncle Mo.
2: Yeah. That's, you know, uncle mo actually Gunrunner took the record for freshman sire earnings from uncle mo oh. so that's a that's a good sort of that's a good group of stallions to be in
0: mm-hmm. yeah um and into mischief is another big another big uh yeah very into, successful
2: sire into mischief is thanos he's inevitable at this point he Has uh, set, he's been the nation's leading sire by earnings three consecutive years. Last year, he set the uh, earnings mark all time for a single season in terms of his progeny. And the crazy thing is like, he's going to keep blowing that number out of the water for the next five plus years. Mm -hmm. He's one of the most active sires in the country. Uh, He's prolific. Uh, His runners do everything. They win at every level. Like if you find an into
0: mischief on the racetrack, he's probably going to win some races. Mm Mm-hmm so uh and unfortunately this year we don't i didn't see any american pharaohs or justifies and i haven't been seeing them
2: well justify doesn't have old enough runners to run in the triple crown races yet his okay. first foals are just two-year-olds so they'll start okay. running this year um and then they should you know oh, for as right. much for, for as much as people spent to breed and buy them they sure should be showing up in the triple crown <laughs> trail next year um as how for are here, they doing
0: in the sale rings
2: oh they're doing gangbusters that's okay. people haven't People have invested so much money in the Justifies because he started out with I want to say a stud fee initially was one hundred fifty thousand something in that neighborhood, so the initial investment was high. So usually that tells you that people are going to spend high for their yearlings, Mm. and a lot of the two year olds are horses that were bought during the yearling sales. So people are going to spend high for the two year olds. Now they got to run. Now they have Mm. to prove themselves that they're going to be worth those lofty prices. But he he has no excuses. He got a huge book of mares, and I remember seeing the types of mares he bred and it was an absolute murderer's row justify has no excuse not to be a great stallion
0: good i could look forward to seeing his so his his first crop will start running next year uh this year oh they do start this year okay you'll
2: start seeing them as soon as this summer
0: oh okay i hadn't i just hadn't seen i watched spring racing and i Mm -hmm. hadn't seen any in the two-year-olds quite yet where there's odd two-year-old race
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think they're going to be a little later types, you know, Justify didn't start running until he was a three year old. So, true. Um, true.
0: Yeah, you
2: know, it, it wouldn't surprise me if they take a little time to get going, but it also wouldn't surprise me if they get off the bat real quick, too. Yeah.
0: If they're as big as he is, they should wait until three years old. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, he's a big boy.
0: <laughs> so uh, and then you were you were about to talk about American Pharaoh.
2: Yes, uh, American Pharaoh, he. I forget he had one that was doing pretty well on the Kentucky Derby trail this year. I feel like he bounced out eventually, Um, you know, in terms of expectations, if he were any stallion other than American Pharaoh, I think he'd be seen as a rousing success, but he's kind of one like justify where people had a certain amount of expectations on him based on the type of mares he got early based on the type of money they spent. And he's a very good sire, but he's not a top sire yet. He's mm-hmm. getting there. He's proven he's shown more sort of dirt moxie in the past year or so. You know, he's he's getting there. But I think people expected him to get there a lot quicker than he has. It's kind of like, you know, it reminds me a lot of Secretariat. His first crops weren't anything out of the ordinary. They were perfectly good. He had some stakes winners. They were great. But people expected him to recreate Secretariat. Mm-hmm. And I think there are people who sort of expected American Fair to recreate American Pharaoh. And he's right. had some really good runner. He had a Breeders' Cup winner in his first crop. I right. believe it was the, uh, juvenile turf sprint. Like it's not like they're not running, but they're not getting classic dirt horses. And that's what American breeders want. Mm-hmm. You know, he's had good runners over in Japan. He's had excellent runners on the turf. You know, he's been getting good runners, just not the type of good runners that people expected him to based on his own race record.
0: Correct. I think people were expecting, uh, was it Omaha and, um, the father son Derby, mhm. Uh, the father, son, triple crown, yep. gallant fox and Omaha mm-hmm. with American Pharaoh, because I know I did. <laughs> yeah. And
2: I mean, that's <laughs> any time you breed to a triple crown winner, that's the stated or unstated goal is that you want a piece of that, you know, that's, you know, that same level of excitement. That's what you're trying to sort of recreate, and, you know, not every stallion, whether it's a triple mm-hmm. crown winner or just a good stakes winner is able to do that. He's so. had plenty of good runners. He is not a dud by any means at all. He just hasn't really had that, you know, the home run Kentucky Derby horse yet. Right. Give him some time. I think he does. I think he gets one that, you know, makes noise on the Kentucky Derby trail and will show up and will show himself very well. We just haven't had it yet.
0: Mm-hmm. Sometimes,
2: sometimes you do. Sometimes you don't.
0: Yeah. And I think it was forbidden kingdom that was on the Derby trail. That's who it was. And then That's recently I, I loved uh, had a, setback or something that, that knocked him off the trail.
2: I knew I was forgetting one that was very obvious. I love forbidden kingdom earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I, he was my derby horse for a good run of time. And, you know, he just kind of ran into, you know, a couple of buzz saws in the Santa Anita Derby. He came out with a bit of an injury and the trainer is very much one that's not going to push a horse too hard. So they mm-hmm. just put him on the sideline for now. He's going to win a lot of races coming up soon, but he was sort of the breakthrough, traditional dirt horse for american pharaoh right and i think you know come traverse stakes season come pacific classic season you'll hear from forbidden
0: kingdom again good and then uh his one of his uh horses first pharaoh i don't think ever raced but he is in the uh second career uh aftercare arena oh lovely being trained for eventing dressage jumping you know whatever uh without ever i don't think he ever set foot on track
2: he didn't uh so. pl- i just pull up his numbers here but you know i bet the american pharaohs are going to be really good at that they're very long and athletically built mm-hmm. and american pharaoh himself is just very nicely put together like he's it's not what you want to breed an american pharaoh for but he's going to have some excellent OTTBs,
0: mm-hmm. and they're very kind very smart yes uh very calm even even tempered mm. horses um so that's that's always a plus when you're in that world where it can be almost as hectic at the grounds when you're showing as that it can be at the racetrack
2: most definitely
0: so all right and then we can um let's see i have the oaks the field the favorite so you got echo zulu any other favorites
2: so what I'm going to have my eye on is Secret Oath. Uh, this is a daughter of Arrogate, um, first crop of Arrogate as well, out of a very good mare. Uh, she actually ran against the boys in the Arkansas Derby. Uh, she ran third, I believe. Um, ran very respectably, and before that, she was dominating the Philly competition. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty well implied that, you know, once she went back to Philly, she was going to be a one of the favorites for the Kentucky Oaks. And if Echo Zulu had come back rusty, she could have been the bee favorite for the the Kentucky Oaks. I think she's going to show herself very well. She's clearly got chops to run against, you know, potentially tougher competition. That was a pretty good Arkansas Derby field. Mm-hmm. You know, if she gets the draw, if she gets the trip, she's as live as anyone in this field.
0: All right. And that draw is at 1 p.m. Uh, Eastern time, I believe, tomorrow. Mm-hmm. At Churchill Downs. Yep. And you can go to Churchill Downs or Kentucky Derby on Facebook. And if you want to watch, you can watch it live.
2: And the Kentucky Derby and the Kentucky Oaks are two races where generally I don't really believe that the draw is that big of a deciding factor on whether a horse is going to win a race or not. Mm -hmm. But when you're dealing with fields this big, especially the potentially 20 horse Kentucky Derby field where you draw can make the difference between whether you have a potential winner or you're thinking about, Oh, what can I do in the Preakness in two weeks? Correct. Uh, There are a lot of (laughs) really, really good horses that drew the one hole that that was an automatic disqualifier. You look at a horse, like looking at lucky a few years ago, who Mm -hmm. was probably the best horse in his crop. He drew the inside post and it's so hard to get out of traffic there because everyone's trying to fight and get onto that rail to get the shortest distance that, it's hard to come back from there. are yeah. It's taken the inside posts have taken down a lot of great horses. So you always try to hope to get it somewhere in the middle. Even the outside anymore has become a viable spot to go in, but those first two, three spots on the rail, not great. You're going to get clobbered. There's now, no way around that.
0: Did you see last year an improvement with the new gate? Because the prior, uh, prior Kentucky Derby's, the field was 20. I think the maximum gate was 12. Or 13, and so they had another gate with 14 through 20. And every race, every year that I watched, the 14 horse got the crap beat out of him coming out of the gate. Like Mm -hmm. Mendelssohn, he would have won the derby if he'd been in any other post, I think. Because he was fast. Mm -hmm. But he was in the 14 and he got mugged coming out
2: of the gate. (laughs) That's a tough thing with the Derby. Like someone is going to get mugged coming out of the gate. That's just, you just have to hope it's not the one you've got your ticket on. That's Mm -hmm. just, that's, that's a tradition (laughs) of the Derby as tried and true as mint juleps is that someone is going to lose their race at the gate. So
0: they have their new 20 stall Mm -hmm. gate. Have, did you see, perceive any improvement last year?
2: I don't think there was really that much of a difference. I can't really off the top of my head i don't really recall the start of the race the thing i, I know someone got taken out because someone always does but i don't think mm-hmm. it was because or not because of the gate okay you know, i think it's just kind of it is what it is it's a little different it's a little shorter distance for those outside horses to run because you know for the auxiliary gate you have to have the space for the wheels and stuff mm-hmm. so people actually liked to draw around that gate because you had a little bit more you know wiggle room around you
0: mm-hmm. and
2: that removed that a little bit but Also, then it's a little shorter distance to the finish line so
0: right i don't know
2: i think i don't know if it's good or bad it's just different
0: at this point all right well one one night when you're bored go to youtube and watch (laughs) some kentucky (laughs) and watch the starts um Mm. my one of my favorite ones was thundersnow
2: oh boy coming
0: out like a bucking bronco because he apparently did not like the water on the track
2: yeah that'll that'll happen from time to time we were on the Track surface for that one, and you know, you're always kind of looking to make sure, Is he gonna, you know, is the horse all right first and foremost, and then is the horse going to run us over? So mm-hmm. it was the answers were yes and no.
0: Okay, <laughs> well, that's good. Uh, any other favorites on the Oaks? Those are
2: pretty much my big ones. Uh, one that might get a bit of a price that I like a little bit is Hidden Connection. Uh, this one took Echo Zulu to the absolute limit in uh, the Fairgrounds Oaks, and is a deeper closer. If she gets the trip, you never know. This is another first crop uh, filly from the first crop of Connect. Um, she's a good horse; like she's okay. she's going to win some races. I don't know if it's necessarily going to be the Oaks. It's tough. For, it's tough for a closer in those big races because there's so many horses. You have to have the perfect trip to get it done. Mm-hmm. But. I, I have more faith in her than just about any other mid to high range shot. okay
0: now did you have the pleasure of meeting any of these ladies uh, when they were with their moms?
2: Boy, that's a good question um not not as foals no, I don't okay. think so. I feel like okay. I feel like I would have remembered that and I don't think I've seen any of them.
0: Okay, hopefully you'll get hopefully one of these foals you're meeting this year. <laughs> in a few years, we'll be able to say, you know, oh yes. And you would not believe um, I mean,
2: that's, that's the dream. That's, you know, that's basically the goal of anyone that, you know, pulls a full out of a mirror is that eventually that they're saying, you know, mm-hmm. I was there for the first moments of the future, Kentucky Derby, triple crown winner, mm-hmm. but you know, for the work that I've been doing a full patrol, I've got, you know, four or five different shots at that for between the Derby and the Oaks. And, you know, we'll see what happens in a few years.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So All right. And I guess we move on to the Derby now. Mm -hmm. Um, And the field is currently packed with about 28, but only 20, 20 will make it. 20 get
2: in. Then they have a couple uh, wiggle room for also eligible. So if someone scratches at the last minute, they just sort of slide in, they take the outside post. Mm -hmm. So, you know, on draw day, they will probably have the actual draw for 20, Spots one through 20 and then 21 and 22 are the next horses out for points. Right, They won't, they probably won't run. I feel like only one or two also eligibles have come off the list to actually run in the main field,
3: mm-hmm. but
2: you know, they'll still probably train up as if they're going to run because you never know when you're going to get that call.
0: Right. And I noted in my research this morning, early voting uh, has scratched. Chad, yes. Chad Brown announced that today,
2: mm-hmm. which honestly probably no big loss. I like early voting, but, I don't know if he was the type of horse to get it done here. Um, I think they're probably gonna point toward the preakness for him, and that's probably a better spot.
0: Yeah. And a lot of different sires represented here. We've got upstart, we've got Uncle Mo, of course, we've got uh uh we've got a we've got Tiss a bomb that's not even he's a TIS now through his mother.
3: Yes, he's hit a bomb.
0: Yeah, hit a bomb which is which surprised me when i saw that he wasn't a tis something Mm -hmm. horse um but i guess they want to keep the make sure people know he is in that family well it's kind
2: of like tis the law a few years ago he was a son of constitution but the dam was a tis now mayor Mm -hmm. so they kind of kept that you know tis the blank And his dam is tis the key. So tis the bomb makes sense. It's a good play on words.
0: Mm -hmm. And uh, we've got a classic Causeway who is a connection to uh, the pasture for Glorious Alliance. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hackleton, one of the OTTBs that is now living with them, uh, ready for his second career, is uh, also a giant's Causeway they're not they're not really considered brothers no
2: i mean by by (laughs) the very barest bones of definition yes they are because they share the you know the same parent but in terms of how the thoroughbred industry views it you know a stallion can have up to 200 foals in the course of a year a mare (laughs) is only going to have one so typically you know being a sibling is considered on the mare side only yeah so if you share a mother you're a brother and sister if you share a sire you just share a sire
0: yeah i think that i don't make the rules
2: that's just the way it is
0: yeah i just like you know pioneer of the nile i'm i love uh nihilist i love hail to the nile who was Mm going to be an nopd police horse but he was too hot-blooded
2: yeah that'll happen yeah you gotta be Uh, you gotta be so calm to be a police horse mm
0: -hmm. and he was not apparently um he during one of the trainings he took off with his rider because something spooked him oh geez and they weren't sure quite what (laughs) yeah it happens So, and no and it's not his fault yeah they're uh most of their horses i think uh a jitterbug would make an excellent police horse because we've said that on calm we've said that on multiple
2: occasions like we sometimes we halfway expect like the Police ponies, like at the Kentucky Horse Park, that you know Jitterbug will be amongst them at one point. She'll be in uniform.
0: She'll be the she'll be the chief of police.
2: Oh, she'll absolutely. There's no other position she would have other than chief of police. She She already
1: thinks she is chief of police. Yes,
2: (laughs) she will be in charge. She will not be involved.
1: Right, but the successful
0: horses in in NOPD squad at least are are the draft cross. Yeah, Uh, and a lot of them were bred at Angola Prison when they were in their breeding program so but uh yeah the the ottbs maybe some i mean i think blueberry might
2: in about 10 years yeah when he gets older yeah Yeah. he'll
1: be good like he he puts up with a lot but he is still a five-year-old he he, he, there's one corner of the arena where it is never a zero percent chance it's never a high percent chance but it's never quite zero that he will like spook at his own shadow <laughs> depending yeah. on what time of day you're riding and I think you know he does just sort of other like little babyish things that I just kind of ignore because like you know he's going to drop that when he gets a little bit older but um, and- I I've actually done a few feature stories on police forces because um off-track thoroughbreds and off-track standardbreds used to be kind of the go-to for a lot of mounted police forces but what I learned a few years ago is they've changed over more towards draft crosses primarily because they have to carry the the officers have to carry so much more equipment now Mm -hmm. like ipads and extra safety gear and stuff beyond what they used to have to do so they're preferring like that heavier type of horse not just for the temperament but also because like they can kind of take a little bit more of that equipment weight which i thought was really interesting i hadn't thought about that before
0: correct and the the draft butt is a lot more uh intimidating than the thoroughbred butt
1: yeah, although I'm always surprised, like non horsey <laughs> people find just about any size horse really intimidating to them, which is makes sense, I guess. But like to me, it's just like, yeah, no, this, this dude's really little. I'm always telling my mom, like, oh, Blueberry's so small. And she's like, he looks big to me. <laughs> like, well, fair, fair point. He, he is larger than our cats. That is true.
0: So, and I think Hail to the Nile was young because I think he was only five or six. Mm-hmm. So he may have been too young for that. Yeah, there are there are
2: certain, you know, ex horses where their personalities would fit well with that. You know, a lot of former race horses become track ponies, that kind of mm-hmm. thing, where, you know, I could I could I could see it for a lot of them, but usually not until they're gonna be, you know, older, or more mature, or less, you know, gun shy about things. Correct. That's, but I, I bet I you I bet you see it more than once.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, Blueberry's mm-hmm. issue would not be so much desensitization as just learning to be bored. Like he's yes. he's young enough right now that like you stop working him. If I if I st- if I sit on him and we stand around for a little while to talk to my trainer, he doesn't he doesn't really want to stand still. Like he won't do mm-hmm. anything too crazy, but he just gets really fidgety, and mm-hmm. so that's kind of our big challenge right now as far as like non-ridden stuff is just learning to stand there and be okay with standing there and. It's boring and you're not going to die like being right. bored. You, no one's ever died of boredom. You're going to be fine. And he you just could have be to the first. Do it. <laughs> he, th- he thinks he's going <laughs> to be breakthrough the first case. every time. Patient this 0. Is, this is the worst. I cannot stand here. I cannot do this. Like how dare you not give me something to do? I'm going to find something to do. I'm going to rub my face on someone. I'm going to try to mm-hmm. chew at my reins. I'm going to So like, that's, I think that's going to be a longer challenge really to, to get him through that than any of the other baby stuff that he does. And it's just going to be, he's just going to have to do it. It's just, yeah you gotta, you gotta be bored sometimes. That's just what it is.
0: But luckily he's an uncle Moe, so it won't take him long to eventually figure that out.
1: Yeah. I think that he understands what I'm trying to get him to do. I think that he just doesn't like it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So he'll get there as he gets more mature, but it's, it's just not his favorite thing right now. And that's that's, like
0: a five-year-old human
1: yeah that's that's sort of how i treat it like no i'm i'm going to get off only when you're standing quietly so that Mm -hmm. you'll figure out this is what i want but like i'm not going to get that upset about it because you're five and this will eventually go away
0: so well joe what are your who are your favorites in uh in the derby
2: so i'm not going to tell you who i have on top because one i haven't decided yet and two i'm saving that little nugget of information for my haiku handicapper picks on the Pollock Report website later this week. Okay. And, you, know, you, you can't give up. You can't give up the secrets. I'm sorry. I would, I would like to very much, all but right. I gotta, well, I gotta stick to my own brand, but I will give you a few that I have my eye on as potential winners. All right. First off is Epicenter. Okay. Um, actually from the same connections as Echo Zulu. So they could potentially have the Derby winner and the Oaks winner on consecutive days and have a very good weekend for themselves. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Uh, Epicenter has won the uh, risen star stakes and the Louisiana Derby coming into this race. Um, Also won at. Yeah. He won at Churchill Downs at two. So he has experience over the surface. He established himself early as one of the top horses in his division and has beaten an extremely deep group of horses in Louisiana, the the Louisiana Mm -hmm. road to the Kentucky Derby is probably the deepest division this year. You know, there's New York, there's California, there's Kentucky, there's Louisiana, Florida. And usually they kind of vary on which ones have the most legitimate contenders. And if you think that, you know, diamond sharpens diamond, then you believe the epicenter is probably going to be your favorite because he beat a lot of good horses on the way to Louisville this year. Okay. Uh, Another one to keep an eye on is Zandon. Uh, he won the bluegrass stakes at Keeneland coming into this. He's a deep closer type. If you like those, Churchill Downs has a long stretch. Uh, mind that bird was a deep closer or was a mm-hmm. deep closer. It can be done. It's a little harder to do nowadays. I feel like lately front-running trips are your winning trips. you know, You don't have to worry about getting caught in traffic if you're never in traffic. But if someone is capable of getting that closing trip and getting the traffic done, and maybe even overcoming an inside post draw, it could be Zandon. I see him as a type who even his worst version of a trip is going to be hitting the border awfully close to it. He's really matured over the spring, uh, finished second by a nose in the Remsen to end his two-year-old season, ran a good third in the Risen Star, where he finished second to Epicenter. That was a really good, like I said, that was a really good Louisiana group where you know, the second mm-hmm. horse I'm looking at was in that same race. Uh, who else do I like? Cyberknife is kind of interesting. He won the Arkansas Derby, um, really matured. He's another one that ran, started his season in Louisiana and, mm-hmm. you know, matured running elsewhere to run very well. So the Louisiana, the Louisiana path is going to factor into the finish of this race. There's just no way around it. Um, since we were talking about Bob Baffert horses earlier, um, he has two that were under his care that are likely to enter the race. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have since been moved to the barn of trainer, Tim Yakteen. Uh, the first one of those is Taiba. I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. There's a lot of debate on that. He won the Santa Anita Derby by two lengths in his second career start, which is highly unusual to have a horse go into the Kentucky Derby off of just two starts mm-hmm. justify was considered too raw to be a potential, a potential winner. And he had run it three times. This horse has only run twice. Uh, His other one is a horse named Messier, after the uh, great hockey player Mark Messier. Mm -hmm. Uh, He is, and he's Ontario bred. So just it keeps rolling into each other. He's a son of Empire Maker. He finished second to Taiba in the Santa Anita Derby after winning uh, his season debut, also at Santa Anita, in the Robert Lewis Stakes. He won that by six. I'm sorry, fifteen lengths. Mm. Uh, This one's also in the barn of Tim Yakteen. So. He's clearly got the talent. The California path is sort of the opposite of Louisiana path and where there weren't a whole lot of killers in that group this year. So we don't know how good those horses really are coming out here, but he beat everyone he needed to. It was 10 lengths from Messier to the third place horse in the Santa Anita Derby. So clearly they're the cream of their crop in California. Whether that translates over to Kentucky is going to be a whole different story. Question's going to be, Whether he needed to start when he lost the Santa Anita Derby or if just everyone else was starting to catch up with him, we'll find out very soon.
0: All right. Now, how do you feel about Crown Prince, the Japanese horse?
2: Boy, the Japanese contingent has had a fantastic run of about six to eight months. They came over for the Breeders' Cup and absolutely wrecked shop. They Mm -hmm. won so many races. Uh, They did really well on the Saudi Cup card. A few months ago, um, you know, did extremely well in the Dubai World Cup card. They've the J- the Japanese racing program has established itself as a program you have to pay attention to no matter where they run on the planet. They will make, you know, they will make their presence felt and they will win a lot of races. That said, I don't think crowd pride is going to add to that list today. Um, I'm just he won the UAE Derby, earned his spot there, ran very well. He had sort of a grinding closing trip, but. I just don't know if it's the type of w- type of trip that wins the Kentucky Derby. I wasn't yeah. as impressed by him. I was, I was hoping to be when I went back and watched the replay two starts earlier, he got absolutely demolished the highest stakes back in Tokyo. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that was a better field than he faced in the, the UAE Derby. I'm not that attuned to Japanese racing, but I wasn't impressed by that effort. And if you can't beat the best of Japan, I don't know if you can beat the best three-year-olds in America. Right. And Churchill be, Downs
0: is a bit of a culture shock, I think, for some of is. the Japanese horses.
2: You know, they've had they've had notable runners and winners over the years. But, you know, it's, it's a culture shock for mostly anyone that runs there. It, it plays almost kind of turfy, um, you know, turf horses that are, have succeeded on the turf or on synthetic surfaces have historically run really well in the, or better than they should in the Kentucky Derby. Mm-hmm. You know, Barbaro started his career as a turf horse. And he, you know, we saw how well he did, um, animal kingdom, won his last prep over synthetic surface, and then, you know, won it at a halfway decent price, the Kentucky Derby. They usually run a little better than you might expect, given their past performance. So it's, you know, having turf form, isn't necessarily a bad thing going into the Derby. You'd like to have dirt form, especially dirt form over Churchill, but it's not what you necessarily need.
0: Right. And what about the jockeys? um well your thoughts on we got mike's uh mike smith
2: mm-hmm. Uh yeah i believe mike smith is riding taiba yes um yeah i'm trying to pulling up my past performances right now to see if he's ridden him in the past he has yes he rode him in the Santa anita derby i always like to see a little bit of experience in terms of having ridden a horse in the past i'd like to see the jock that rode the horse in the prep ride them in the kentucky derby mm-hmm. even if that means sticking with a regional rider um there are a lot of riders at you know some of the tracks who get a winner and say the arkansas derby the louisiana derby and then the owners say well i want you know i ride ortiz riding my horse i don't want this local rider because Rad right. you know, ride ortiz wins a lot of stuff and i really believe with dancing with the jock that brung you um I feel like it doesn't pan out as well as it usually should when they replace the jockey this late, unless the jock already has a mount somewhere else, Correct. you know, commitments are what they are. Jockeys can only ride one horse at a time, but if you have a perfectly good jockey who's available to you and they've gotten you this far in life, I really don't like the angle of taking them off the horse, unless you have a very compelling reason and a mm-hmm. compelling reason can't just be, Ooh, that jockey's shiny.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then we've got uh, Joel Rosario, Flavian Pratt, Florent Giroux, but we've got some new faces, I think. Uh, Tyler Gafflion
2: uh, hasn't like been re- at the
0: Derby very many times.
2: He's a, he's a young up-and-coming rider still, but he's really established himself. I believe he did he win the preakness last year, or was it the year I before? I think it
0: may have been, yeah.
2: Yeah, he's you know, he's established himself as an elite rider on the national level. He's come he's come along really well. He's got White Barrio in the Kentucky Derby, he's got the mount on him. Uh, Gaffaleon rode White Abario for wins in the Holy Bull Stakes and the Florida Derby, which are both convincing victories. Um, you know that's the kind of form you want to see. Eventually, I don't, I don't love White Abario in this race. I think he's going to find a ceiling, but eventually Tyler Gaffaleon's going to ride a Derby winner. Like that's, yeah, that's a yeah. sure.
0: And then we've got Relu Gutierrez, who's going to be the youngest uh, jockey on Barber Road.
2: Yeah, that's he's. And he's got a good mount in the uh, Kentucky Oaks too. I believe he's riding Hidden Connection, actually. Who I was speaking about earlier. Um, that horse might very well win the Oaks. I don't think Barbara Road's going to win the Derby. I think he's a very good horse who's probably in over his head here. But you know, having a Derby mount this young, anything is possible. You know, it's not like it's crazy for sort of a less heralded younger rider to come in here and you know win the big one. So mm-hmm. once you get a horse in the race. All you gotta do is get in there first.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And again, anyway, we have the usual. It's that easy. It's that but... easy.
2: Just get him in the gate. And get him there first. <laughs> get, him,
0: get him to the finish line first.
2: <laughs> I don't. I don't know why more people don't try that strategy. So. I'm available for consulting.
0: <laughs> and uh, we have a Louisiana jockey, uh, Brian Hernandez.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He yeah, is that's... going to be riding. Tis the bomb.
2: Yes, Tiz the Bomb is going to be interesting. I just spent a lot of time rallying about how a turf bred and synthetic bred horse can, you know, do damage at Churchill Downs and, you know, especially in the Kentucky Derby. I'm just not sure how I feel about Tiz the Bomb. He's a very, I feel like his ter- first surface truly is turf and synthetic. Mm. He did fantastic in the prep races at Turfway Park, which is a all weather surface. He won last year's Breeders' Cup juvenile turf. I'm, I'm sorry, he finished second. But he got the winner's share because of a bunch of craziness. He ran second, he paid out first. It's a long story. Horse racing is weird. <laughs> um, but he his one start on actual dirt in between the Breeders' Cup and the uh races at Turfway was in the Holy Bowl, which was at Gulfstream Park, mm-hmm. and he finished seventh by 20 lengths. Okay. Then he got on the synthetic and did fantastic. Yeah. So I don't know if he's good enough to be a factor here. I say that now and it'll probably make me stick my foot in my mouth when we get to the races, but I will not be playing Tis the Bomb in the Derby. Okay.
0: Well, that's fair. That's fair. Because some horses, you put them on a surface that they don't run on and they don't yeah. run well. They don't like it.
2: And he has the pedigree of a turf horse, too. Tis the Bomb, I believe, won the Breeders' Cup juvenile turf. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's. It's a pet is his, his or, I mean, hit it, hit it a bomb as a, as a son of war front. It's a very turf heavy pedigree. Mm-hmm. He's kind of going against form to run on the turf, which isn't, I mean, to run on the dirt, which isn't necessarily a absolute toss, but if you're looking for reasons to not pick horses, that's as right. good as one as any.
0: Um, and of course the, the Saturday uh, there are tons of races are, what are the other big races on the card for Friday and Saturday? Oh, for Friday and Saturday,
2: I don't have it in front of me, okay. typically they have the, uh, turf classic stakes, which is a grade one. Mm-hmm. They bring in a lot of good turf horses for that. That's usually one of the sort of elite level races. Um, the Pat day mile is, I believe that's a grade three might be a grade two. Now that's a mile race for three-year-olds, mm-hmm. a lot of horses that made a lot of noise on the triple crown trail, but weren't necessarily the type to get a mile and a quarter will end up here. It's sort of the consolation race for a lot of good horses. Mm-hmm. um so you'll see you'll see some familiar names that you probably saw running against the horses that'll be running on saturday in the derby okay um, i feel like i could be wrong on here i believe it's the churchill Downs stakes it's a grade one sprint for f- fillies and mares that brings in a lot of good horses um i'm sure bell's the one who will probably be running in that she's she's an excellent turf sprinter i mean i'm, I'm an excellent female sprinter mm-hmm. um, they they've really packed these cards. It will be two full days of racing and actually three because they're Thursday card. They usually put some solid races on too.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I used to work with an attorney that would go to the track, go to the OTB rather uh, Thursday, Friday and Saturday Mm -hmm. for Derby Preakness and Belmont.
2: Yeah, That's on the Thursday card. They have a race. It's the uh, Kentucky juvenile stakes, which is sort of the first big stakes race in the country for two-year-olds. Mm-hmm. So that'll be kind of the, you know, it's rare that horses that peak that early end up running in the Kentucky Derby, but this is sort of your first peek at who's, you know, got the first jump out of the gate in terms of good sires, good runners. Um, you know, you don't learn a lot, but you'll learn something in those races. Right.
0: And who might, you know, who might shine at the Breeders' Cup?
2: You never know. In November. You never- Everyone's got to get started somewhere. Mm-hmm.
0: So, all right. And uh, I, I put Haiku Handicapper, but I guess since it hasn't uh, appeared in Pollock Report, that's... Uh...
2: <laughs> well, that's... See, I was prepared for this because I didn't want to share any of my current Haiku because that's, you know... Yes. That, we we, we got to keep the people coming coming back for that one. Mm-hmm. But for people who aren't familiar, I started this thing in college called the haiku handicapper, because I looked around and realized that I'm a college student. And if I want to stand out with my Kentucky Derby picks, I can't just straight up say who I like, who cares what a college student thinks about the Kentucky Derby, you know, Mike Watchmaker, Stephen Chris, Andy Byer have these experienced takes. They have numbers. They have data. I'm just a dude at Central Michigan University. Nobody cares what I have to say about this. So I had to find a different outside the box way to analyze the race. So I came up on my blog, the Michigan Bread Claimer, this thing called the Haiku Handicapper, where I analyze each horse in the race in the form of Haiku. Haiku is a Uh, Three line poem, five syllables, seven syllables, five syllables again. And I try to inject a lot of humor into it and really get to the point of how I think a horse is going to do, try to make a joke and move on to it. So I've been doing this for over a decade now for different publications. Thoroughbred Times, Daily Racing Forum. Um, Boy, who else? This is horse racing. I know I've done it for Arabian Finish Line in the past. Obviously, the Pollock Report. The picks are usually awful. If you're reading this, if you're reading the Haiku Handicapper, it's not because you actually want to know who won the race. You want to hear jokes about these horses. (laughs) So I do that for typically all three Triple Crown races, usually the Breeders' Cup. And basically, anytime a sponsor wants to do something, I'm happy to write Haiku about whatever race they want to sponsor. So I pulled up what I had for uh, last year's Kentucky Derby. uh, So I can provide a few quick examples. Um, Great. Let's see. We'll we'll do Medina spirit since he was the winner for that one. Once I find him. Okay. Now remember these lines are three lines, five syllables, seven, seven syllables, five syllables. So it's going to be kind of weird and enjo- disjointed. It reads a lot better on the page and it sounds to the audio. Mm-hmm. So I encourage anyone listening to this to Google the haiku handicapper. It looks a lot better on the page. <laughs> so Medina spirits poem was couldn't seal the deal. Once he got the starting gig on Baffert's depth chart. So that didn't pan out, obviously he he ended up winning the race by what means we don't Mm -hmm. know, but at the time he had, you know, there were better horses in Baffert's barn who didn't make it to the race for whatever reason. And, you know, he really didn't look like he was going to be that guy, but he turned out being that guy,
0: Mm -hmm.
2: at least that guy at the time
0: at the time. Yeah.
2: Um, My pick for that race was essential quality. His haiku was the unbeaten champ does little else, but ace tests. Why would he stop now? And he ran just fine. I think he ended up running third. I think he probably got promoted to second after the disqualification Mm -hmm. Had an outside trip. It is what it is. He's a good horse. He ended up winning the championship at the end of the year anyway. So, you know, that's kind of how I do those. Usually if they're, if they're horses that, don't have as good of a chance i'll get a little sort of meaner about my predictions and try to make (laughs) more jokes about how the horses don't have a chance those are those are the more fun ones to write than the horses that actually have chances
0: yeah and haiku is difficult to write because i remember in uh, grade school i had to do one and it took me forever it's because it's it's the five syllables seven syllables five syllables very structured
2: Yes, you have to have a good command of the language to be able to pull out words that say what you need it to say that also fit the syllable count. Mm-hmm. And I'll be like sitting in a coffee shop like counting on my fingers and people will think I'm crazy trying to like figure out all the syllables. <laughs> like I've, I've, I've had people stare at me thinking I had something wrong with me and I was just trying to like count out a haiku in my head.
0: So I can imagine.
2: <laughs> so that will be out sometime this week. We're still trying to figure out. I like to do it, you know, obviously I want to do it after the draw, so I have the post positions and I need to figure out who's right. going who I think is
0: going to win the race. Right. Well, that'd be cool if if we if we do this again for preakness um I'd like to see the hot sires
2: mm-hmm.
0: what their haikus were.
2: Yeah,
3: that's in the uh,
0: in the big classic races
2: like what they were back in the day or Mm
0: -hmm. like american pharaoh for Mm -hmm. uh kentucky derby
2: i like that i might i'm for for the ones that exist and that i know i can find them i might have to pull those up i Mm -hmm. might that i like that that's that's gun runner yeah run happy
0: i I mean run happy must have made a lot of money because he sponsors everything at multiple tracks
2: so his owner is uh, Jim Mackenvale, mattress yeah, Mac, who owns yeah. Like he's got a lot of money and he's not afraid to spend it. Like correct, he, he loves a gamble. You know he's but, always in the news for placing, you know, million dollar bets on you know the World Series, the Super Bowl, or what have you. Like he's not afraid to put his money where his mouth is on stuff.
0: And he is also though very generous and very charitable because after storms in Houston, he opens up his stores and lets people come sleep there for free. Mm-hmm where they've lost their homes or, you know, lost their, their, uh, possessions. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's, he's very good. Yes. And I think after Katrina, he put people up in Houston.
2: I believe he did. I feel like anytime so, there's kind of a natural disaster that hits the area, the
0: mm-hmm.
2: the but, gallery furniture is open up for those who need them. <laughs> That's, so, I, I remember for COVID he sort of spearheaded a lot of sort of like getting meals to people mm-hmm. and, you know, just making sure everyone is fed and taken care of in the early months.
0: Yeah. So he's he's not that. But it it's it's funny that, you know, it's not it's not Mattress Mac. It's Run Happy. Mm-hmm. It is a horse sponsoring. <laughs> and Run Happy
2: has a horse in the derby field. He has Smile mm-hmm. Happy, yes. uh, who finished second in the Bluegrass Stakes and the Risen Star Stakes. He's coming along at a good pace. I think he probably needs one more. Star- like, I would I love him for the Preakness. I don't mm-hmm. know if he gets it done in the Derby, but I think he's a true threat for the Preakness. That being said, he's got to win over the Churchill Downs surface. He won the Kentucky Jockey Club Stakes last year, like a good thing, and that got him on a lot of people's radars. He beat Classic Causeway that day. He beat White Abario that day. Um, you know, it's not outside of the realm of possibility that he wins. I mm-hmm. like him better in the Preakness, but he's one that I'm not going to completely toss in the Derby. Like he's absolutely live.
0: Yeah. All right, well, we'll have to see how he does. And uh, I certainly am looking forward to Haiku Handicapper <laughs> this week. And um, your favorite who you who was not mentioned. Uh, favorite who shall not be named. Who shall, yeah, shall or not be named. Or maybe it was this, mentioned. Shall not be named at this time. <laughs> that we know of. Um, <laughs> of course, to be named later. Uh, but I'll, it'll be interesting to see how that pans out mm. on Saturday.
2: Yes. There's a lot of, there's a lot of questions still to be answered.
0: mm -hmm. Yeah. And then um, another thing that, you know, always falls within the what might've been category that, that a lot of, I certainly think about a lot with racing, especially when we, when we lose young, uh, younger horses, uh, horses that we've lost. And it seems like in the last week or two, we've lost some, incredible ones Dortmund zippy chippy Ugh, who I you have zippy a story chippy. about
2: <laughs> yes that's zippy chippy for those of you who aren't familiar uh is a beloved horse who went o for a hundred on the racetrack he never won a race and it became part of his legend eventually that the source was just never going to race I mean never going to win and he you know it became part of his legend he like Athletes would race him on foot because, it, you know, can, a, can the worst racehorse in the world beat, you know, a wide receiver or beat a standard bread and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And he just he became very beloved and he was eventually retired to old friends at uh, Cabin Creek up near Saratoga Springs and people could visit him. And he was a grumpy old man, but mm-hmm. um, he would pose for a selfie from time to time. I posed with if you were very brave, he was a biter he was not afraid to bite you in his crabby old age. And I took a selfie with him at one point and he stuck his tongue out for it. And then he proceeded to bite me on the chest. I absolutely okay. deserved it. And it was a great honor. I have no regrets over it. I got a selfie with Zippy Chippy. Exactly.
0: Exactly. That's sometimes that's sometimes that's a cost. Yeah, no, you know. That's,
2: you know, I knew what I was getting into and, you know, I knew that he was a, you know, he, he was old. He didn't have a lot of teeth left, but the ones that he did still worked.
0: and uh and then we lost lauban um it's about a year ago mm-hmm. um that one is still kind of it's odd they were trying to improve his fertility
2: uh they were more of trying to improve his energy i believe okay um you know for he Laoban was red hot at the time. He His first crop of runners was electric. He was standing in New York for his first few seasons. Uh-huh. His runners got to the track and they won a bunch of stuff. Laoban's the son of Uncle Mo um, and there was just a run of like all, all, all the sons of Uncle Mo at Stud were doing fantastic. So he uh, moved to Kentucky. He was sold, sold to a new partnership and he was covering a ton of mares because everybody wanted in on him and he just didn't have it in him to cover as many mares and he was giving a He was given something to uh, help boost that that he did not react well to. And he died very quickly afterward. So
0: now that sparked a commentary regarding uh, thoroughbreds allowing artificial insemination rather than live covers.
2: Yes. So in
0: their breeding.
2: So thoroughbreds are somewhat unique in that to register for their stud book, everything has to be live cover. So the stallion has to be in the same room as the mare. They have to, you know, do everything as nature intended. Uh, to keep my words very careful, um, <laughs> and that's the only way. You can't uh, do sort of you know in vitro fertilization. You can't use artificial insemination where you you collect you know, semen from a stallion and, you know, insert it into a mare who could be hundreds of miles away. Like you can mm. for most other racing breeds, quarter horses, standard breds, Arabians all allow different forms of artificial insemination, embryo transfer for thoroughbreds. There's only one way to do it. And there has been some concerns over whether, you know, if you're not going to put a stud book, a cap on the stud book, you know, are you running stallions into the ground, breeding them as many times as they need to, because it's a you know, it's a taxing process. Mm -hmm. Some stallions can be doing it three or more times a day. Mm -hmm. That's a lot, but there's also something to be said about genetic diversity. All those other racing breeds that I mentioned that have artificial insemination, because it's the barrier for entry for the stallions is so low because you can get, you know, semen to any state that you need to, the genetic diversity isn't very good. So you have a lot of pedigrees, you know, there's a handful of stallions that breed everyone.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: eventually you're going to kind of run out of places to, you know, send your stallion because it's related to everyone. And that's not right. good. Right. So I'm a proponent of live cover with a stud book cap, which was in implemented for a brief time by the jockey club, but that got warded off by breeders. I don't necessarily agree with that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. If 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 it were like that and you could spread out genetic diversity a bit. I'd be fine with it. As it stands right now, it's a lot more free market. I prefer it as live cover. I can see why people think it's easier on stallions for artificial insemination. It probably is because there's not as much of a risk factor. But I think you have long-term consequences that would be tough to walk back
0: without making significant
2: changes that the business doesn't want to do.
0: I think if people, some might see artificial as a way to maximize Numbers and so they may actually do more than three collections a day, and oh, you still have could. to collect it.
2: Yes, and know. I mean, you can get more out of you know one collection, you know, more folds out of one collection than you yeah, know, a typical you know live cover mating, but you know, still, that's you can that you is an, somehow
0: that is an interesting job because if you've seen, um, well, I'm, I'm sure you have seen them the workers who deal with the stallions and mares, they have helmets. Oh yeah. They have chest covers. They have pads on their elbows and their knees. It's a, Um, it's a
2: physical process for everyone involved.
0: Yeah. And there's apparently there's a little guy who. (laughs) Deals with the mayor first. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
2: The teaser, the poor unlucky teaser (laughs) who job is basically just to arouse the mayor and then leave.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, I, there was a uh, one of the after America Pharaohs Triple Crown the year after, uh, Tara Lipinski and Johnny Weir or Tara Lipinski visited Ashford mm-hmm. or Kumar or whatever it's called, and she got to watch him at a a breeding, mm-hmm. and she was shocked and. Driven to her knees. <laughs> and it was one of the funniest things her reaction, because apparently she'd never seen horses mm. in, fl- in flagantre delecto. <laughs> Good word How choice. How you pronounce that word? <laughs> but yeah, yeah it's very it's, interesting. You know, I, I grew up breeding
2: horses uh, on my parents' farm. So, you know, it was nothing new to me, but I can understand why someone who's, you know, not used to seeing that would be, you know, yeah not not sure what they're seeing it's you know it's how every horse is made but you don't necessarily think about it until you see it
0: yeah yeah and my my uh great-grandfather had ponies Mm -hmm. and he had a few stallions amongst the herd and so every now and then what are they doing grandpa
2: (laughs) you'll know when you're older
0: (laughs) yeah so uh and then of course we lost medina spirit uh Mm. very suddenly Um, I don't recall ever seeing, was that a heart issue?
2: I forget exactly what, I believe they attributed it to a heart issue.
1: They said Um, that they uh, thought it was most likely to be cardio or pulmonary mm -hmm. in nature, but there was nothing that they could see about the physical tissue of the heart that explained to them exactly what the problem was, which is not an uncommon finding at all. Right. Um, in circumstances where the horse has either had some sort of um, cardiac issue or some kind of like pulmonary hemorrhage, um, mm-hmm. they present kind of similarly once the horse is dead and the heart isn't beating anymore. Obviously, it's difficult to see if there was some sort of arrhythmia or anything else going right. on. All you could really tell is if there was any sort of physical deformity of the heart, and they did not find that. But that's, you know, not right. an unusual thing. But, and it
0: was after a workout
1: it was at the very end of a workout yeah
0: it was like right at the finish line at the finish line yeah and then of course popcorn delights who was the uh who played sea biscuit
2: Mm -hmm.
0: in the 2003 movie
2: he was a good horse that's he was anytime that you know i took a tour at old friends which were you know just down the road from you know popcorn delights was always one of the centerpieces because you know Sea Biscuit is such a you know if if you're at Old Friends you probably know about the Sea Biscuit movie mm-hmm. and it's easy to you know impress people say like you know this is one of the main horses that played Sea Biscuit and right. you know they use multiple horses but they were able to sort of n- nail down like which parts he was specifically in so you can go back and watch those and um, right I forget what they are I couldn't tell you which ones but I remember they do make that part of the tour and he's you know he's a very affable horse he, he's a
0: movie star and he knew it. And wasn't it his pasture mate who shows you his tattoo? Yes. Or was he? That was him. Or no, that was his pasture mate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, it was a pastor mate. Um, I can mean, I can't remember his name. Bless his heart, but oh,
2: neither can I. <laughs> Good horse though.
0: Uh, yeah, and um, I think I remember reading that that was something that um delights kind of didn't appreciate because it was taking his attention away
2: well i mean when you're a movie star you want to be seen
0: (laughs) and then of course alphabet soup and i truly worried for michael blue when alphabet soup passed because next to war emblem and silver charm this was one of michael's favorites
2: alphabet soup was such a fan favorite he's one that you know just a very white colored gray um Mm -hmm. and just very you know to borrow a race from another departed resident of old friends very charismatic he um you know he just had that look to him he had that eye he was very you know approachable and he just he looked like a unicorn i don't know how else to say it just he had the perfect look that you would want for a resident of old friends to look just what you dream of a racehorse to look like Mm -hmm. and he was a very good sire too that's i've had a lot of respect for alphabet soup at stud
0: Mm mm-hmm uh and he was kind of an unlikely uh unlikely winner because he wasn't a blue chip high dollar breed uh horse he was acquired for a very reasonable sum of money as if i remember correctly and won races i don't think people thought he could have won
2: yeah that's he won some of the biggest races out there that's he was he was a legitimate horse he did fantastic
0: no, uh, so proving it doesn't have to be a uh, an American pharaoh or a, a Justify. It can be Zippy Chippy <laughs> and still do well.
2: Oh yeah, that's you know it doesn't matter whether a horse was you know the Kentucky Derby winner or ran in the lowest levels. It's amazing the level, the ways that a horse can touch people's lives, multiple people's lives, who barely made an imp- barely made an impact on the racetrack.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, of course, Dortmund, uh, son mm-hmm. of Big Brown, he was one of my favorites. Big Brown was one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you posted the the article on mm-hmm. Twitter, I was in the lunchroom and I saw it and I said, oh, my God. <laughs> and everybody's like, Lisa, are you OK? I said, Dortmund <laughs> died. Who's Dortmund? <laughs> like, oh, one of my other interests is horse racing. <laughs> but i got to tell people that i work with about mm-hmm. so it was a very a very interesting opportunity to let people get to know me a little bit better yeah and but uh he was good
2: he was that's the uh i forget what exactly happened with him i think he got a twist he, in his yeah a yeah. tor-
0: uh, small bowel torsion
2: yeah he was yeah like,
0: digestive
2: yeah that's you know that's one of the awful things about horses that the, they're really good at finding ways to die. Mm-hmm. Like at any age, I believe, I think he was only 10 years old, yes. but that's the kind of thing that that's not an old horse thing. That's not a young horse thing. That's a, sometimes a horse is in the right place at the right time and it happens thing. Yeah. And that's one of the terrifying things about horse ownership is that you just never know when that might be your time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that the digestive uh, complications are the most frightening part because mm-hmm. you sometimes there's no sign that there might be something wrong it just happens yep so
1: the frightening thing is that colic symptoms kind of look the same no matter what the cause is so mm-hmm. you start seeing your horse do some kind of weird stuff that you know is like classic colic and you're like okay does he have a bit of grain sort of caught someplace in his intestine we just sort of need to get things moving or like does he have an intestine that's twisted and I right. need to get a surgery <laughs> like, right exactly. i mean usually the the more serious causes are more serious pain responses so i mean you, you do have something of a clue but the scary thing when you're in the middle of trying to sort of figure it, figure out do we need the vet do we give some oral medication and see how it goes is that there's always that sneaking possibility of like this could be it and, mm-hmm. or it could be nothing, you know, but Blue- yeah. blueberry actually had a colic a few weeks ago that resolved with medication. It was oral medication. So it takes a while to kick in. And he just, he, he wasn't super dramatic, but he was kind of like low key. I may be dying for like 30 minutes. And then <laughs> minute 31, he's like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. What are you staring at me for? And I'm just like, you're giving me an ulcer. <laughs> but, and, <laughs> and it's not, it's not the horse it's you because yeah. you
0: start going into worst case scenario brain. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, probably trying to keep it together and inside you just want to go curl up in a ball and cry.
1: Yeah. You have to sort of, I think part of horse ownership sort of, it's gotta be, I assume not that unlike having kids where you just have to have a mode you snap into where like, yeah, your brain is doing that, but you can't Mm -hmm. let that take you over. It has to be very triage of like, okay, let's check this. Did he eat? Did he poop? What do do I see in the stall? Do I have oral banamine? Do I want to call the vet now? Do I want to try this? Do I want to try walking him? And you have to just sort of be, you know, very logical about it. But then, you know, afterward, what I run into is then after it's all over, then I'm kind of paranoid about what if it comes back, you know, then back in after luckily after you're sort of through the process of actually dealing with the issue in front of you I don't know how vets do it because I mean that's just there all day every day I don't know how they don't just panic at
3: some point yeah.
1: every single day but you know that's that's their job so I guess that's that's why you become a vet in part I suppose that you must be good at a crisis but it's it's definitely stressful and kind of like, I think one of the important things to understand too for like non-horsey people is that like colic can happen in so many different ways and has nothing to do with the level of care of the horse mm-hmm. you know something as simple as like the spring grass coming out i think it's probably what got to blueberry in his case and or you know a weather change or something can be enough right, to set them off. right. So it's that's so even- upsetting when it happens but it also means that like there are some limited things you can control to reduce the risk but then there's other things that you don't have any control over right you have to sort of ride it out
0: i and mean i've a- go ahead. Um, I've heard of people, their horse has colic because they drank water too fast and ingested air.
1: Yeah, Yeah. they've actually disproven that one. Oh, okay. Um, That that was (laughs) believed for many years. And so there were people that would not let their horse drink um, too soon after exercise, but they've researched that one pretty thoroughly and decided that like no, you're, you're probably good. That was probably based on the idea that people will sometimes feel a little crampy if you drink okay. really, really cold water when you're really, really hot, but they don't work quite the same way. Okay. So as long as you don't let them go too, too crazy and drink like an entire bucket without stopping, like you're you're probably okay to just sort of taper it. And that's what they do with the racetrack. So funny enough, Blueberry likes to take short little sips after working out and then he wants to take take a break and then take short little sips because that's what they sort of teach mm-hmm. them to do as they're cooling out from a race, which is mm-hmm. actually a good thing, hydration wise. But I yeah, had a there's... friend
0: who swore that that was what caused.
1: <laughs> well, and it's, sometimes, now, it's not you know,
0: recent. This was many years ago, but she swore.
1: Well, and um, it could have been more related to like whatever exercise they did right before drinking the water, you know, okay. we just had that horse. Um, oh, gosh, why am I blanking on the name? Uh, midnight Bourbon. bourbon yeah yeah and yeah, Steve Aspieson's barn and I, I don't think that we don't have the necropsy back so we don't know exactly what happened but it sounded like the horse worked out and started colicking as he was cooling out probably did the same thing workout wise that he did every day but you know maybe something that
0: day something shifted
1: around in the process of moving mm-hmm. if he had sort of more gas in his intestine and things were a little more blown up and then you go to work and something doesn't stay where it's supposed to be I, i'm not really sure what they'll find out but mm-hmm. they did say it sort of came on quickly and yeah. there wasn't much they could do which sounds a lot more like a torsion to me versus a gas colic but i mean we'll have to we'll have to see but I, right. that was an exercise that followed exercise so yeah you kind of wonder like okay did they just do something weird in the process of exercising like it's it's very stressful when you look at a horse's like gi system and you look at all the twists and turns that the intestine takes it's really kind of amazing that they don't have problems more often than they do frankly it's i, right. I explained this to a non-horsey friend once and she was just kind of like how have they as a species survived And I'm like, mm-hmm. that is that, a valid question yeah that's
0: a
2: legitimate question yes
0: and the, their digestive system only goes one way. Yes. So, you know, that can f- cause issues.
1: Yeah, if um, they eat something that doesn't agree with them, they don't, they don't have a lot of choices about what to do with that. And, mm-hmm. and unlike cows who have like the four stomachs, they can break down pretty much anything you throw at it. Theirs is not that sophisticated. It cannot handle stuff that it's not used to in the same way.
0: Which mm-hmm. is
1: part of the challenge.
0: Yeah. So, and then of course, green light go um was another recent one uh and you know i kind of wonder joe what about sire lines and um the these style potentials for these younger stallions How that so? we've lost
2: well that's a good question actually one that i think is very impactful is um Midnight bourbon because he is a son of Tisnow, and Tisnow what is and I guess was since he's pension now one of the last sort of hopes for the direct male sire line that includes Manowar. I believe it's mm-hmm. the Godolphin Arabian is the sort of base sire the foundation sire that he was the last major component of and tis now really doesn't have that knockout sun stud in north america
1: Mm -hmm. and there
2: really aren't any other sort of offshoots of that that are serious significant you know there's some regional ones some in like you know korea and elsewhere but in terms of like actual mainstream kentucky stallions Tiz now was about it for this particular sire line that had become quite obscure and he didn't really have he doesn't really have that good heir apparent yet, like a son yeah. who's going to take over the reins and, you know, leave it on to the next generation to keep going. And Midnight Bourbon was as strong a shot as he'd had in a long time. He was classic placed, I believe he was a grade one winner.
0: You know, he was
2: he was going to go stand at stud somewhere and get a lot of mares. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's gone now.
0: Right. And
2: I mean. I believe Tiz now still has a crop of two year olds going like they're drying up pretty quickly at at the very least, like his, his opportunities to, you know, get that son at stud that's going to be his heir apparent is getting smaller by the day. And he's already kind of proven that he's not necessarily a sire of sires. So Mm
0: -hmm. we
2: could have just seen the last hope for an entire foundation sire line go with him. Right. And that's kind of a bummer. Cause yeah. you know, I was talking about earlier genetic diversity. Tis was one of the biggest outcrosses in the entire business. Like you could send any mare that had been sort of bred to, you know, sexy commercial pedigrees that everyone recognized, send them to Tis who, you know, can get good runners and have an outcross and be fine.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
2: Opportunity not necessarily there anymore. Right.
0: But he does seem to have, uh, have left some uh, brood mares.
2: Yes. Excellent brood mare sire. Um, you know, we mentioned uh, Tiz the Bomb earlier. Uh, mm. That's one that's a, out of a daughter of Tiz now. That's, he's, had a, he's had a lot of good daughters. Like he's going to extend through that. But, you know, the sire line, the direct mail, like this is a father, this is a father, this is a father. You know, that's right. something that people really pay attention to. And that's going to get a lot harder to find nowadays, especially after
0: Midnight Bourbon's death. Right. And then Dortmund... Uh, He was in Korea. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I've seen any runners from him.
2: He didn't. He stood in Maryland for three seasons, I think. And he didn't get a lot of attention there. I forget if he had some sort of medical issue or if he just wasn't very popular, but he didn't have a whole lot of runners or a whole lot of he didn't have a whole lot of mares didn't have a whole lot of runners. I think he's got seven starters right now. His oldest foals are three. He's got one stakes place runner, and that's about it.
0: Right. And then we're also seeing the last uh, crops of empire maker and pioneer of the Nile. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, pi-
2: both of whom have a starter in the Kentucky Derby.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: We'd mentioned uh, Messier being a son of empire maker and then pioneer of the Nile has Tawny port who won the Lexington stakes uh, a couple weeks ago, heading into the Derby.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: He's a son of and pioneer I, of the
0: Nile. I think this might be his last crop because he died in 2019.
2: I'd have to do some mental math that I'm not good enough okay. at math to do off the top of my head. <laughs> I think he's got, let's see. I think he's oh, well, got one no, more crop. No, he should go.
0: have one more crop. Yeah. yeah. You're right. I forget that they're a year gestation or 11 month gestation.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I usually have to like carry the one with that
0: just to make sure I've got the <laughs> got the numbers right. So yeah. And uh, Empire Makers 2022. So he should have two more crop, 2020 so he's two more mm. crops, I think. Yeah, it was a
2: real shame with Empire Maker because he started in America. He was fine, but really wasn't meeting up to expectations. So they sold him to Japan for a few years and then he caught fire in, in the US. Mm-hmm. At champions, did really well. And then they had a big effort, like multiple parties, to try to you know bring him back here to stand at Gainesway. And then he, you know, died only after a few years at stud. And that was a lot of people were very sad about
0: that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then well, California Chrome is in Japan. Correct. Uh, he didn't make quite a mark. Yeah. Taylor that's... made.
2: Yeah. There were some people who kind of doubted whether he would be able to pass on his ability at stud because he was of pretty obscure pedigree himself. And you don't typically see that get passed on to another generation. If you happen to like have one that was a freak like Chrome was. hmm now is probably the exception to that. Like now was what probably what they were aspiring to with California Chrome. You know, now is a pretty regional pedigree, all, all things considered. Very prolific broodmare, but in terms of the sire, not as much. It was a very good cross, but didn't really do much outside of that. Um, you know, I think that was kind of the milepost for California Chrome, and he just never quite hit that. Mm-hmm. They were probably smart to sell early when he still had you know some potential because his runners have not really got they have not rung the bell
0: yeah i i have very very rarely ever seen a california chrome
2: yeah and he might do better over in japan there's a yeah. long long history of stallions going over there from the u.s and having a fantastic career
0: right crown pride's the sunday silence
2: yeah sunday silence you know, great, is the mile of that uh, Dre yeah. Fong, who uh, was a very good sprinter a few years ago, is the leading freshman sire over there. Yeah, So you know, um, the Japanese program is an extension of the American program, and I think that's part of the reason why they can do so well on a national stage is because they're, you know they're buying our best mares. They're getting some of our best stallion prospects. They're you know, it's essentially an American program.
0: Mm-hmm. So So maybe in a few years, California Chrome right, have a Japanese contender.
2: Oh, that'd be wild. I'd love to see that.
0: Yeah. So, well, any final thoughts from either Natalie or Joe?
2: It's going to be a crazy week. Stay tuned.
1: <laughs> Natalie? Yeah, we'll just, we'll be, as selfishly as Turf writers, we'll we'll be glad to get to the end of Saturday. It's the craziest week all year, but, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully your listeners will tune in uh, to NBC and enjoy the Sort of the main weekend where horse racing is, is spotlighted through the year. It should be an interesting show.
0: Yes. And when Tim laden steps down at NBC, I think Joe needs to start writing oh boy. Those pieces because <laughs> you're writing, I mean, Bill Knack could make me cry, and so can you and so can oh. Tim Laden.
1: Oh uh, my like- gosh, like tim is not allowed to retire like i i i hope you get that (laughs) that gig and everything joe like i love you but tim is not ever allowed to retire because he's just like
2: no that's that's fine absolute perfection like he is the like the one guy who like we both have posters on our wall for for who we look Mm -hmm. up to like we want to be him when we grow up yeah i can't
1: uh, he's like you know it's always the classic thing of like meeting your idol or something like I, i haven't actually like officially met him but like he's around in press boxes and i'm just like oh my god there's tim laden and i proceed to walk into a doorway or something <laughs> like,
2: just, no like, no oh my god
1: he's so good he's just so good at everything that he you talks got
2: about. one heck of an add-a-girl from tim laden the... yeah
1: he did email me after i got the uh, after i got the two eclipses and i was no no no
2: no no no. i'm talking about the bodie express Preakness.
1: I don't think he said the poor man I think I just sort of like <laughs> shouted at him and then ran in the other direction like I was trying to to track down the pony rider who had picked up Bodie Express who dumped John Velasquez at the, uh-huh. start of the and ran off and the trouble was that he he ran the whole race they weren't able to catch him he galloped out with the field and then he turned around and came back and ran at all of us which was terrifying because if you were on the track yeah, I did not get onto the track surface because I knew he was still out there. But a lot, but of, a
2: people, lot of people did. Uh, <laughs>
1: and they thought that he'd been picked up and, and they didn't realize that he was loose and it was too loud to really, you know, I was like yelling at people and pulling people like, get out of the way.
0: And so finally yeah.
1: the one pony rider caught him right in front of the stands and was, you know, the, the biggest hero that anyone had. And the, I just sort of spotted, like, people were everywhere. People were trying to figure out what happened. I was trying to figure out where the pony rider went. I was trying to figure out where the horse went, make sure that everybody's okay. And Tim Lane and I just sort of look at each other and I just sort of shouted like, this is insane. And I went, <laughs> and went oh, that's a great, great way of introducing yourself. Really smooth. <laughs> like, <before> yeah. That.
0: <laughs> yeah. Bodie Express is one of those uh, that was that he was a horse having a great
1: old time. He messed with that pony so much. Mm-hmm. He just mm-hmm. like, he didn't want to be caught, you know, ahead of the race anyway. And then when she was really trying to get him after the gallop out. Um, because it was finally safe to approach him he wasn't in the field anymore so they they were kind of limited in what they could do as long as the race was running but when they really started to try to go after him he was just toying with them and he really did successfully go from like just a blind bolt at some point screeched to a halt turned on his hind end and ran the other direction at at some stage and I thought oh my god he's gonna do this like he's already been doing this for I don't even know how many (laughs) miles he's logged at this point but like he's just gonna keep doing this he's not tired enough to stop and it was Camery um, Cridle who picked him up um, mm-hmm. with her, one of her many really excellent skilled ponies, and man, like she had to stretch all the way out of the saddle to get him too, because he was just not going to make that easy.
0: Right, and, and I think he was that was his inner dog, because dogs <laughs> will do that.
1: <laughs> yeah it was a little dog like actually yeah, he just, you know he was taking such joy in the situation like yeah and you know so when hilarious. you just
0: they'll they'll get close enough where you think you can get them and then they'll be like psych and sprint out so that you can't reach them
1: That that was definitely what he was doing and yep. it, it was more amusing after you know we've gotten through the whole thing <laughs> and nobody even squished in the moment it was just like he's gonna eventually run somebody over because he's not gonna let them catch him yeah, it was it was quite something.
0: So but yeah, that is um if it ever comes to that, I I'd nominate Joe. So, I don't know, and like I, I will write shoot, like, to NBC tomorrow.
2: Oh <laughs> like his Tim Bladen's piece on maximum security and that time between the finish and the mm-hmm. disqualification is one of the most intense and moving pieces of like horse racing media production that mm-hmm. I've ever seen like very few things that I read or watch and race and give me goosebumps or like yeah especially after one or two re- readings reviewings but that's the kind of thing that that's like basically our psych up mix like if we if Natalie mm-hmm. and I know yeah. that we need to like do something great like that's the thing we watch to see what greatness is that was right. so good they per- it was
1: perfectly so perfect moment. Yeah, like he he, he caught he captured what it was like to be there, but it was just such a complicated situation. And yet he mm-hmm. was able to not just make you feel something, but also include all of the many different moving pieces that were going on in that moment. And
0: like right. as somebody
1: who deals with like the investigative and regulatory side of things all the time, like that's very hard to do, especially when you're talking to a lay audience as he always is through NBC. So on and, television. On television. Yeah. yeah, and and you have a limited time space and you right know, it's just he's got a lot of sort of different elements that he has to deal with whenever he does one of those essays that gets read in the background of like one of the the video montages and like that is way harder than, than anything yeah. that we have to do and he does it so well it's just really really impressive and it's just great to experience that as a fellow writer
0: mm-hmm. but i think in in journalism i think turf and sports writers are the only group that have held on to the language and the use of language um, that used to be common for all, all walks of life in journalism. And now newspaper articles, I mean, read your local newspaper, you'll probably find grammatical errors and spelling and punctuation, and like nobody really cares, but sports and turf writing y'all still care and produce a really great product
2: you can see the poetry in it and that Mm -hmm. helps to you know create things and find inspiration very you know i won't say easily because you know writing is hard but you know it's clear to see what's in front of you and what's important and what makes it sort of significant Mm -hmm. and that's you know Perhaps harder to find at a local, you know, drain commission meeting or something. You know, we're fortunate that we're in a field where inspiring things are happening on a regular basis or thing it inspiring are things that are at least inspiring to write about.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Even yeah. if they're, you know, sort of deflating and horrible. At least they're, <laughs> you know, right. things that you that you can, you know, find it within yourself to describe with, you know, prose and just creativity that we might not necessarily be able to find elsewhere.
0: No, and that's doesn't. It doesn't happen in news writing anymore. And maybe part of it is the uh, audience is thought to be not very bright and not very focused and not very able to cope with much more.
2: Well, but I- I think there is something to be said for writing for a very specialized audience. If you're reading a horse racing publication, you probably know at least a few things about it. So you can take liberties with what you're saying and that you don't have to, Mm -hmm. you know, speak to the lowest common denominator. You can, you know, sort of bring your level, your reading level up with the audience. So, you know, if I wrote for the New York Times, USA Today, or something, I'm not explaining like the, I'm explaining the race to someone who watches one race a year. Whereas I have the ability to write to an audience that watches races every single day.
0: Mm -hmm. True. I'll give you those points. (laughs) (laughs) I will take them. So, well, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me on this Sunday afternoon.
2: Well, thank you for having Absolutely. us. And
0: you have your crazy week coming up. Is it all week or is it just Thursday, Friday and Saturday?
1: Uh, well, the, the post position draw happens tomorrow. And obviously, you know, any sort of last minute news of of defections mm-hmm. will be you know, that much more critical throughout as the week goes on um i'm actually covering a law conference here in lexington sort of <laughs> as an added layer to oh, the derby cool. stuff going on in the background which is going to be really interesting but it's just kind of a lot of different moving pieces to the week and then you know friday saturday are the really long race days as far mm-hmm. as having just uh, the largest number of graded stakes races across the different mm-hmm. tracks because of course churchill's where everybody's watching but there are other tracks that have graded stakes on friday saturday also and we gotta pay some attention to them so it ends up just making for a very long and complicated couple of days at the end of a long and complicated week.
2: (laughs) Yeah. That's the thing. Like because you get so many once a year people who come out to the racetracks around the country, like a lot of tracks are running live dates that, you know, are Mm -hmm. either running live dates, starting their meet, ending their meet, or running one of their biggest cards on Kentucky Derby weekend, because they know that they have a live audience for perhaps the only time they will all year. Mm-hmm. So everyone pulls the stops out, whether you're Churchill Downs, whether you're Belmont Park or whether you're, you know, Mount Pleasant Meadows. Like usually you're doing something cool on Derby Day if you have if your life meets going.
0: Right. I think Fairgrounds has got something similar going this weekend. The next weekend, rather. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, uh, Haiku Handicapper, do you have a date or is it still to be? Of course, I think you'll post it on Twitter.
2: Oh, it'll be all over the place. I'm shameless <laughs> with my promotion of that. Um, I think we're still trying to nail down a date for that. Um, I still need to figure out who I'm actually going to put on top. Um, I would expect Tuesday or Wednesday, but okay. I don't want to make I don't want to make I don't want to make promises on that. I got to okay. speak to our I got to speak to our editor in chief about that.
0: <laughs> all right. So well, it has been lovely having you both. And you actually do work very well together. <laughs> People often
1: ask how we do it. And it just, it, I, I, I don't know, but we've I, been doing it forever and it yeah. just seems to work. So
0: I could not have been, I could not work with my ex. We worked together at one time when we got married. I had to go find a job someplace else. Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to spend that much time with him.
1: <laughs> we, we hear that a lot. We also yeah. don't work from home. So, I mean, we're really around each other mm-hmm. time okay but I think it's been like that for we haven't always worked for the same publication for most of our relationship but we've always been or almost always been working primarily from home just sometimes for two different publications so it kind of wasn't that big of a transition really when he came over to the Pollock Report as far as that side of things went
2: actually it's been kind of an advantage because now we're sort of working together on things as opposed to I'm doing my thing you're doing your thing right I can't or shouldn't be helping you with your thing right
0: Mm -hmm right you can work you can work together mm-hmm. and not um lose a job yeah right so and and there's no worry of scooping somebody
1: exactly <laughs> yeah i don't think we only had a couple situations where that potentially came up before mm-hmm. um because he was so focused on bloodstock and i had sort of my other little niches so we didn't cross over that much um I think there was, I can think of like one time where like I had to go into my office and close the mm-hmm. door and work the phones and you had to go to the other end of the condo and work the phones because we were both kind of knew something. And I don't even remember what it was. We knew something was going on. Yeah. And like we were each the, the appointed person on it for our respective publications. And we're like, well, this is weird.
2: <laughs> anyway, I'm going to this room.
0: I'm um, going to go
1: over here and talk quietly into my don't phone.
0: Don't <laughs> knock.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'll see you when I see you.
0: Well that it's it works y'all make it look easy (laughs) and uh i admire both of you very much
1: oh well thank you thank you
0: and uh i'm gonna say you know based in fact y'all are my favorite guests oh or among Uh my favorite guests and i can also say this is the only true crime podcast that has two eclipse award winners as guests
2: (laughs) well i can tell you as someone who you know lives and works with natalie like living with natalie is like living in a true crime podcast all the time (laughs) for all the investigatory stuff she does like it's just you know what episode are we on today that's (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's it it, you, you picked the right person to have on the show yeah
0: now that would that would be interesting natalie have you ever thought of branching into a podcast
1: um, I don't know where I would find the time. I really love listening to podcasts. I was like you know all over. I was, I was listening to podcasts before Serial just to date myself. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think I'm one of the original cool kids um, and I, I really enjoy consuming them but I don't know where in the world I would find the time. The closest we kind of get is the Friday show which is not formatted as a podcast but is like essentially Mm -hmm. it's not a video podcast i hate that phrase like you're either a video or you're a podcast for goodness sake but that's sort of like our talking head video which ends up working a lot like a podcast and that people Mm -hmm. turn it on and and probably hopefully do not stare at both of our faces the whole time um and that's kind of enough of a production each week to just figure out oh god what are we talking about okay (laughs) are we having a guest yeah you know like that's sort of enough for for me to handle but And it's not nearly as fun, I feel like, probably to, you know, put the pieces together after the fact. I think Joe sort of enjoys watching me unfold a story as I'm trying Mm -hmm. to figure out what happened. But by the time I would be able to in my particular sort of venue to put it onto a podcast, it's kind of like cat's out of the bag already because I've probably published whatever the final story is. And so then it's just kind of rehashing. It's not nearly as exciting as, as if you were there for each individual step yeah Um, but that's kind of the challenge reporting is that it's it's kind of fun to do it when you're still Mm -hmm. not sure where the ending is but you can't really tell anybody about it because you don't know where the ending is yeah (laughs) and then you just have the whole story including the ending so
0: well reach out to me if you ever have a one of your stories that you want to bring into the true crime sphere
1: Mm, absolutely Um,
0: and uh because i like to deal with them after their like direct appeal is over and Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, look at it that way
0: (laughs) yeah because well up until direct appeal is over there's a chance there's people out there that don't know and don't need to be influenced right one way or the other
1: right and you may not Uh have all the information you know right at that point
0: right so all right well thank you so much and i am going to uh let you get back to your sunday well thank you thank you and uh, I will maybe reach out, and we'll try and do this again for greatness.
2: Sounds like a plan. Great.
0: All right. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Based in Fact, a true crime podcast. If you like the show and want to know more, you can find us on Facebook or follow me on Twitter at O'Brien L. Ann. This week, I want to give a quick shout out to Roberta Glass and Adi who produced the wonderful intro for me, and to Adi, who produced the title page for the audio and video versions of the podcast. I could not do this as uh, professionally as it seems without them. Kyle and I will be back next week to talk about a true crime case, which is yet to be determined. So check our Facebook page later this week. Until then, have a great week and stay safe. Bye. Thank you.